KFI AM. Why that didn't come out right? KFI. Hey there. Hey there. We've both got rough starts today. Shunny and Chevy Sheva. Uh, hey, Blake, I can't hear Monica. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, how would I know to say that? <laughs> it's a meta joke. It's a joke within a joke. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, have a seat, everyone. California is absolutely effed up. Uh, the legal licensing of marijuana dispensaries. And uh, LA Times has a pretty good story about it today. Uh, good enough that uh, it's going to take up a break or two. Uh, yesterday I played you. I don't, I don't know what has prompted Vice to do this. Of course, it goes without saying that they didn't do this uh, with Obama, blah, 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 blah. But yesterday I played a montage from Vice.com of Trump saying cookie. And that is on the Twitter feed, at Dark Secret Place, because Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. Uh, absolutely no knowledge where they are or when they'll be back. Um, but I'll be filling in until they come back. We'll, we will keep the light on for them. So yesterday there was a cookie montage. Today, uh, this is a montage of Trump saying Bing. This is, that's, was one of his go-to sort of place fillers. So before we get to actual content... On this radio show, on this day after the day after Christmas, let's uh, let's hear this. Hey, play it. Nothing's working today. No, this is, this is on me. Yeah, Blake, don't. Uh, there we go. Wait, hang on. Wait, I know what happened. I know what happened. <clears throat> it froze up. Is what happened because I had to log out. Uh, okay, so here we go. I love it. I'm sitting there tweeting. Bing, bing, bing. You press a button. Bing, bing. They all hand you checks. Bing, 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 bing. We had our beautiful Marine standing there. Bing, 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 bing. You know, in the old days, bing, bong. You know, with the map, bing, bing, bing. Little mouth on him. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, 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 bing. Bing, bing, bing. They're cleaning up. Fix it up. Bing, bing, bing. A 14-point plan. Bing, bing, bing. Anthony Weiner. You know, the little bing, bing, bing. Everyone's attacked me has gone bing. Everyone else, bing. Where have they gone? Bing. Wow. What a tackle. Bing. Playing cards. Bing, bing, bing. Those tunnels. Bing, boom. Right under the toilet. Bing, boom. Right up. Bing. Like a rocket ship, except in the wrong direction. I'd fly over, drop them right on top. You know, just bing. They want me to use the pump because the other one, which I really like better than going bing, bing, bing. It's like puppets. Bing, bing. Bing, bing. Bong, bong. Bing, bing, bing. The bing, bing, bang, bang, boom. I was imitating puppets, and I said, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Bye, bing. Bing, that's the end of that. You know, it's the only thing you can say. If that's not a ringtone uh, by the end of today, then there's something wrong with Vice. They just don't get it. So, Or the uh, the cookie thing. So there, there is that. Well, uh, we're going to get to why millennials are the most scammed online, and it, it shouldn't be a mystery, but CNBC has a story about it. Uh, really, really interesting. Plus, it's a great chance for us to, uh, to mock millennials. Uh, which, which is which is what we do, and the uh, a local crime uh, mother and child murdered in Van Nuys. Andrew Mullenbeck is on that. It's uh, it's still very early uh, in the reporting, except that uh, we we do know right off the bat that that so far LAPD is saying that the father is being cooperative, wasn't present, and is not a suspect. So uh, that'll be an aspect of that as well. So we're we are on that. Uh, as well as uh, everything else that uh, normally Swamp Watch. It's Swamp Watch uh, Thursday, so we'll get to that. Well, every day is Swamp Watch, so we'll uh, get to all that today on the Gary and Shannon Show. And where was the – oh, not that I – I'll get into this a little later on. But so yesterday, you know, we're tracking 
Air Force One on its way to Iraq, which in itself was a really pretty significant event because it's never been done before. And it was close. I, I, I follow a couple people on social media who do nothing, apparently, but sit in the basement of the science building and, and use uh, open source information to track uh, military aircraft or Air Force One. Or whatever. They've been close in the past. Uh, but yesterday, was it should concern the Secret Service that pretty much uh, from takeoff time in, in D.C. to the, the point where Air Force One was visibly confirmed as uh, flying over Ireland, uh, the Secret Service should be concerned uh, about the ability to track Air Force One. Because if, if you know, like I say, uh, if, if, you if you, well, you underestimate your enemy at, at your own risk. If you gave ISIS, who still exists in Iraq, if you gave them a seven-hour heads-up that Air Force One would be landing possibly in Iraq, then they're not idiots. Uh, one of them would figure out there's one of two places he's going, Baghdad or al-Assad, the huge American base there. <clears throat> so you would get two teams of four idiots at each place. And at some point, because here's the thing about when you fly into Baghdad, uh, whether it's uh, C-130 or Air Force One or whatever, um, at some point the, the aircraft flies in. Uh, in my case, I, I had a flight where the guy dropped down to palm tree level about 10 miles outside of Baghdad, then popped up. Uh, popped up and landed. Uh, there's civilian airline traffic that flies in and out of Bayap, out of Baghdad International Airport, and it, at about 10,000 feet, they begin a, a, a spiral descent, a very steep spiral descent, in the false notion that that somehow is going to uh, uh, decoy a shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missile, uh, which have been used in that theater. So anyway, if uh, but at some point, the aircraft has to land like an aircraft. And so if you gave a terrorist group seven hours heads up, if you gave the Taliban a seven-hour heads up uh, to put a team in the hills around Bagram or maybe close to Bagram uh, outside of Kabul or at Baghdad, you're putting the VIP at significant risk. So there, there is that. But that's the kind of thing that, like, I talk about on Saturday nights and Dark Secret Place. Most people, um, most of the left yesterday were on the Trump hasn't visited the troops. This is the longest. This is two years. And this is the longest uh, that the uh, president hasn't visited the troops. And I'm air fingering that. Um, and uh, right as they were saying that, we get the word. And I got the word and said it here on KFI hours before that the president's on his way to the Middle East, probably going to visit the troops, air fingers. And so then the president visits the troops at Al-Assad and then refuels at Ramstein in Germany. And what do we get? You get that he didn't do it right. And he effed it up. And, oh, and he revealed that there was a SEAL team in, in Iraq, which was – let me start with that because that's the most laughable one. There was a, there was a picture uh, – there was a posed picture where a, a, a bunch of Navy SEALs uh, – Posed with the president, and they had their combat gear on, and uh, they weren't exactly the saltiest, beardiest guys around. Uh, and so the next thing is that the left and Rachel Maddow and MSNBC is all concerned about operational security. Because, oh, look at that. He's putting the SEALs at risk, you know, and all, the whole thing. No, it's not a mystery that they're deployed. It's not a mystery why they're there, what their mission is. None of that's a mystery. And also, by the way, the president gets to declassify anything he wants. And here's a pro tip. If you want to know all about where the SEALs are deployed, go to the Vons in Coronado 
and then eavesdrop on any woman who gets out of a lifted Dodge Ram 2500 with burn this flag stickers and and uh, 911 never forget any woman who gets out of a, a, a Dodge a diesel Dodge Ram 2500 or bigger not a 1500 a 2500 quad cab with a DOD sticker in in the front windshield she is the girlfriend of a seal okay or or wife Wife, see, seal wife, walk around and eavesdrop on her. You'll learn more than anything Trump did yesterday. Okay, that's that's just the reality of this. Here's thing two. I don't care who it is. I had presidential visits from Clinton, had them from Bush. I didn't do one with Obama, but I can tell you this. The troops get excited about any president who shows up. Half of them do. The other half can't believe they have to do this crap. Cannot believe that there's a mandatory attendance to this bull s, um, that's that's how it works downrange. Um, the longer you've been there, the the thicker your your cynicism. So so there you go. And also, by the way, he he didn't visit the troops. He visit he visited some troops. Like every president visits some troops, not all the troops. They don't actually go out and visit the combat troops. They visit the 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 rimps and the pogues and the fobbits. That's what they do. Um, of course, they're all heroes, and I thank them for their service. But uh, that's that's the bottom line. For most people deployed, it's a pain in the ass when a VIP comes downrange. You roll your eyes and say, but why here? You know what? I, I heard 2nd Battalion really wants a coin. <laughs> Wouldn't it be more fun to go there? Uh, back right after this, I have to close this thought out or else I, I can't move on. Uh, Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon on the Gary and Shannon Show, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. And I want to feel something Forty more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show. Gary and Shannon are out. You don't get to know when they're coming back. Brian Suits filling in for them. And uh, now today, dealing with the aftermath of Trump, who hates the troops, never visited the troops till he visited the troops. Uh, but now today, he didn't do it right. He he was like Geraldo, giving up tactical maps and things like that. And so, just to dispel some myths for all of ye. Um, here's here's the bottom line and the uh, the whole truth. Every president uses the troops as a prop. Like I was in here for Tactical Thursday with Bill Handel at uh, nine, yeah, nine a.m. Uh, and so I'll, I'll repeat what I what I said because I I'm, I apologize because I know you're, you were all listening. Uh, that it's a, a bother to most troops, but for if you're in the middle of boredom. You know, if a VIP visits and uh, you get to choose to go or not, uh, yeah, most people are excited. It's not like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, but uh, in in you know full disclosure, when I was in Bosnia, we got the Cardinals cheerleaders. That's that's what a backwater mention that was, right? Um, and so the the uh, the deal is, presidents come, they visit the troops. Uh, are they doing it because they really honestly care about the troops? Well, they do know they're not visiting. They're they're visiting a headquarters base. They're visiting the tent pole, the flagpole. And they're dealing with troops who are not out there in the grind of daily combat, unless, of course, they make a request to their advance team and say, hey, make sure you go out to some far-flung, <clears throat> uh, dust-choked fob, and you pull a platoon of guys that have been in combat for six months, pull them back off the line, bring them back here, I want a private meeting with them. To my knowledge, no president has done that since World War II, okay? 
No president has done that since Whiskey Whiskey Deuce. Um, and b- because I don't know that they don't know that. You know, George Bush was a fighter pilot. I don't know that he would know, you know, anything about, you know, what I'm describing. Or that uh, a, a general or an aide would say, well, uh, you know, I ain't saying nothing there, POTUS, but if I were you, I would specifically request for, you know, what, that's not what happens. They land at a base big enough to uh, handle a 747. Why they do that, I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, what I, what, like I said this morning, what I would do as a president is I, I would, uh, I'd, I'd leave the 747 in Warsaw, you know, or Sofia, Bulgaria, some other NATO country, and then I would downsize uh, to a C-17. I mean, like Hillary and and uh, Madeleine Albright and others, they would they would fly into Bosnia in C-17s, um, or even smaller. Uh, Wesley Clark uh, used to fly in a, a twin, uh, what's called a, a C-12, which is a Beechcraft, uh, King, uh, uh, King Air, twin-engine Beechcraft, right? But they don't. They have to fly in the 747, and they're told you have to fly in the 747 and, uh, and the whole thing. So they fly in the most obvious plane on the face of the earth, and they make an address, and they use the troops as props. I mean, this is, just, this is nonpartisan of me telling you this. This is from the perspective of a guy— who had to sit through this at Thanksgiving uh, in 1990? And, and I got to say, I, I, I just I want to say, when George W. Bush and his wife came to Saudi Arabia, it was very low key uh, because uh, even Secret Service was in the background and Delta Force was doing most of the, the the security, but they did minimal security. We actually were allowed to be walking around with with a weapon and a, and and one magazine. It couldn't be in the weapon, but we were on a base. So, you know, George W. Bush, uh, just, he ate Thanksgiving dinner and he moved around. And it was really low-key. And he was wearing the same camouflage we were. Uh, Jay Leno um, came out. Steve Martin and his wife came out. And they were not allowed to do a comedy show. So they literally went from tank to tank. And they stood on the back there. That was extremely cool. And someday I will be able to thank Steve Martin personally uh, for that. But if, from that point forward... Um, Clinton used troops as props. Bush used uh, troops as props. Presidents used troops as props, especially since we're now no longer in the Vietnam era. We're now in an era where the troops have the highest approval rating of you know any uh, uh, constituent body uh, in in this country. <clears throat> and so, uh, uh, governors use uniformed troops. Uh, National Guard guys as props. It's, it's you're used, okay? Uh, and so the the controversy is that when the president um, came back upstream to Ramstein, uh, I don't know what time it was. It looked like it was early in the morning or very late at night, and there was a bunch of Ramstein people um, who are permanent part of what's called permanent party. They live there. They're not deployed. They're not combat troops deployed downrange. They live in Germany. They live at Ramstein. They have families going to school. They have Mercedes. They have Porsches. They live in Germany. They are based there. And some of them had Trump hats and Trump flags because the, and that doesn't make it a campaign visit. Uh, that's called it's still called a command visit. It's the president in his role as the commander in chief. Full stop. That's just that. And if you bring a, a Carolina Panthers hat or a MAGA hat or a Trump flag, you are not violating the DOD's uh, political policy. You are not. In fact, DOD back in, uh, I want to say 2008 or 2009, they changed it to recognize that, yes, indeed, 
um, you, you get to have an opinion. You don't get to go to a political rally, a political event in uniform or representing the military. But if the president in his role as the president comes to Ramstein Air Force Base and he wants to sign your Obama hat, uh, your Obama T-shirt uh, or whatever, uh, you get to bring it. That doesn't make it political. There's a really a lot of wacky, ignorant silliness going on right now, especially from this clown that MSNBC uses called named Malcolm Nance who used to call himself an, uh, an intelligence officer, and it turned out he was a senior-ranking Navy intelligence enlisted guy. But MSNBC kisses that guy's ass like, like it's going out of style, and I hope it does go out of style. But he was uh, all over the tweeter last night pointing to this female Air Force captain who brought a Trump flag, saying she should be disciplined and all this. And this guy has his own record when he was in uniform. But in case, in case you're watching MSNBC thinking Malcolm Nance is a credible source, let me, let me save you some time. And he's not a source on who should be disciplined in the military. So it's a, it's a clown show. Stop it. Uh, when President Kanye visits the troops, it'll be as, as props. When President Melania visits the troops, whoever. When President Bieber. Well, no, he wasn't born in the U.S. So that's, Can't uh, do it. Yeah. Can- I Canada. Get, thank God for small mercies on that one. So <laughs> yeah! bad, bad news, kids. Um, and so uh, but th- th- just that, that's just that. Okay, and this all it, this goes back to mission accomplished and Bush in an S three Viking landing on the USS, very expensive gray steel thing, and and they put up a banner that's a mission accomplished. You know what? Their mission was accomplished. They were back in San Frickin' Diego. They were all going to be um, in Gastown that night, or the I'm sorry, the Gaslight, whatever it's called, uh, sector, neighborhood. Uh, all right, back right after this, I'll uh, come down off my. Uh, off, off the edge of the cliff here, and uh, I'll tell you why California, guess what, effed up the legal marijuana thing. LA Times with a great story today. KFI M640, more stimulating talk. The Gary and Shannon Show. Hi, AM six forty four stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show. Brian Sid filling in for Gary and Shannon. California messed up. Guess guess what? California messed up the uh, the whole legalized marijuana thing. So we'll get to that here in just a second. Just a programming note: the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl was actually canceled. the The Lightning. I forget who was in it at this point now. Boise State and someone or something like that. Yeah, Boston College and Boise State, it was at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, and there was so much lightning, and it was delayed for so long that they wound up canceling the bowl game. And, uh, of course, uh, dozens of people asked, uh, well, when's it, when's it going to be rescheduled? And they just went, went for the refund uh, on, on that one. So I have no idea. I, I, in, mo- in modern times, I can't recall a bowl game being canceled, and I, I would imagine they'd uh, re- reschedule it. Who wants a local, a super hyper local, Los Angeles based canceled bowl game fun fact? Should we do a show of hands or should I just play uh, the cup stacker? Uh, let's ask the cup stacker. What do you think? Yes! Oh my okay. gosh! Oh my gosh! Then here, here is your oh amazing gosh! super hyper local oh canceled gosh! bowl game fun fact. Oh my gosh! So, January 1st, 1942, the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. Oregon State versus Duke. Yet the Rose Bowl was empty. No football was played that day. 
So do the math. Well, don't do the math. Use your history bone. January 1st, 1942. Remember that uh, 21 days earlier, those scheming Japanese uh, attacked Pearl Harbor. And what is uh, sort of forgotten in, in the interim is that in the period between Pearl Harbor and the next few weeks, there were submarines seen all up and down the California coast. And, in fact, a Japanese submarine shelled Santa Barbara. No kidding. Uh, and other places. And started a, a fire at a refinery or something like that. And it inconvenienced some golfers. So the Rose Bowl Committee with Duke and Oregon State, um, just a few days after, after uh, Pearl Harbor, with Duke and Oregon State uh, ready to get on their trains and choo-choo across the country uh, for, that, uh, for that Rose Bowl there in Pasadena. And uh, the parade and whole shtick, the committee said it's too dangerous. It represents too good of a target to have the Rose Bowl on January 1st, 1942. So the Rose Bowl of 1942 was moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, the home of Duke University. So it wasn't in effect. It was a home game for Duke. And that final score is probably available via Wikipedia. But uh, So that uh, there's your local fun fact, 1942 uh, Rose Bowl. That's if you care about the uh, canceled serve pro first responder, you know, whatever. Uh, all right, so here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, we voted in 2016 to allow the legal sale of recreational marijuana, not work marijuana. You can't go to work all ripped, and all this had to be recreational. Advocates of the move envisioned thousands of pot shops and cannabis farms obtaining state licenses, making the drug easily available to all adults within a short drive. Uh, which, by the way, through that argument, you should have drive through alcohol uh, like they do in Wyoming and Oklahoma. Why do I know that? I don't know. Um, but uh, we, we don't. But so anyway, has it been a raving success? There, the, the state, and this is, I thought this was part of the, the initial problem. They put a cap. They said, oh, all right, we anticipate 6,000 licenses. Don't worry. Your neighborhoods are not going to be overrun with weed shops. They're, they're, they're going to be zoned, and there's going to be only 6,000 licenses uh, issued. Okay, so here it is. We're rapidly running out of 2018. And how many legally licensed marijuana dispensaries are there? How many legal licenses have been issued? 6,000 available. How many? The answer, the answer again, 547. 547. Now, wait, that's insane. It's a license to print money, to legally sell the ganja, the J, the weed, the green, to, to legally sell that. That would be a license to print money, wouldn't it? Well, only if that license came along with exorbitant taxes. If marijuana was taxed like athletic socks, there would be 6,000 pot dispensaries in California. A lot of people would be walking through that door, and they'd be paying a lot of state taxes. But what California's done, and this is the bottom line up front, um, is that they baked into the cake of legal marijuana so many regulations and so many taxes and they took away the stick, but they taxed the carrot so badly that no one cares about the stick. Because in my uh, really stretched marijuana metaphor, uh, I'm talking about jail or criminality. Okay, well, so by the end of 2016 and 17, it was pretty clear that these things were failing for one reason. Because there was no incentive to do it legally. Because the marijuana, and I don't, I don't partake 
in in the sticky icky as uh, as uh, Joey Murata says because he did a he did a search for colloquialisms um, that it literally has not priced out marijuana dealers since you're not since you weren't going to jail when you went to your dealer Javier or Thor or Matsumoto. I don't, I don't want to, you know, be racist. Uh, since you didn't go to jail for buying pot from a dude uh, with with the green, and it was way cheaper, why would you do it legally and pay four times as much? Just because it's air fingers legal. It was virtually legal two years ago anyway. So that's what California fails to understand about business and incentive and carrots and sticks, is that you began whittling the stick down 20 years ago. And by 2016, it was basically a toothpick and a, and, and, and a, and a piece of fettuccine. Um, and so the incentive to do it legally, and then, of course, the thinking up in Sacramento was, well, now that we have them, we'll tax the living feces out of this, and then uh, their, little, their, their, money will be, our, um, their money will turn into our revenue. The reason it hasn't happened because they don't understand there was no incentive to stop seeing your dealers, especially when the pot at the legal dispensaries was so expensive. We'll break down uh, some of the numbers here because you have to understand if if you're eating the uh, the the, the fruitcake and you're wondering why it's even worse than normal fruitcakes, then you need to know what went into that recipe. So the LA Times with this story today. This is Gary and Shannon Joe Brian Suits filling in KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk. KFI, AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian's is filling in. Well, uh, let's uh, do the math. Let's uh, roll up the, the bottom lines here and find out whether this grand experiment called legalized marijuana is actually working out. Uh, the quick version is no for a couple of reasons. Uh, the primary reason, well, there, there's two basic reasons. Uh, one is that... It is still illegal to be selling marijuana without a license. That law is virtually unenforced. That would have been nice for the people who went the extra mile and got what's called the dual license, the state and the city that they're in. Um, They did it with a reasonable expectation that the state of California would do its basic duty, local law enforcement, et cetera, and actually enforce the law against uh, against illegally selling marijuana. That's not happening. So <clears throat> that's on the state, which told us this would be a resounding uh, success. Uh, and reason number two is because of the, the taxation. So, Producer uh, Joey, we're going to get the local president uh, of NAMBLA at uh, 1230. And I don't know why you think that's appropriate. It's got I, nothing... Not NAMBLA. No, no, not NAMBLA. This is for uh, normal. Oh, yes. National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana that's Laws. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. Way uh, different. Yeah. My bad. <coughs> yeah. Woo. But, uh, yeah, he will. One or two letters wrong. <laughs> He'll be set uh, to be with us in the 12 o'clock hour. You're, you're an accessory. Um, well, uh, and, and so this is so that you can win this debate with your friends who are saying, yes, but now that marijuana is legal, the state is making money hand over fist. Here's how it works. Uh, at the first year of license sales comes to a close, California's legal market hasn't performed as state officials and the cannabis industry had hoped. And remember who was the white knight on this. He's going to be governor in a couple days because he mistook his experience in San Francisco 
uh, that that it would be extrapolated into a larger statewide excess, uh, success. So he has to answer for this. This is his baby. Retail, that's Gavin Newsom, by the way, uh, or hairdo McGungrab. Retailers and growers say they've been stunted by complex regulations, high taxes, and decisions by most cities to ban cannabis shops. So that's that's the key that you have to keep in mind. Number one, it required what's called dual licensing. If your city said N-O spells no to you uh, selling the ganja, then you could take your state license and you could do personal hygiene with it because that was all it was worth. And here's how it boils down. There's uh, 88 cities in the county of Los Angeles. 82 of them have banned pot shops. So that kind of boils it down a little bit there, don't it? So uh, this is part of the reason that there's 6,000 available licenses and only 547 have even been. Uh, and it's not a matter of them not granting them. It's that people who want to make money on this see the inherent problems and they don't do it. Um, tax-wise, here's, a, here's how this boils down. By the way, um, the highest taxes on the pot are in the state of Washington, who also incorrectly thought they'd be making tax revenue hand over fist. Uh, 37% sales and excise taxes. California is 15%, but that's deceptive because there's a whole lot else uh, going on there. Um, <clears throat> Alex Traverso, spokesman for the state's Bureau of Cannabis Control, uh, referring to the requirement that cannabis businesses get permission from the state and the city, he said, quote, I think we all wish we could license more businesses, but our system is based on dual licensing and local control, close quote. Well, did you think of that? Did you even wargame that out when you wrote that measure or you, you wrote the skeleton of the administration that was going to be administering this? Uh, as I say, uh, less than 20 percent of cities in California, 89 out of 482 allow retail shops to sell cannabis for recreational use. Uh, 82 of L.A. County's 88 cities prohibit retail sales. We're in one here in Burbank. Go, by the way, on your own on your own phone. Uh, zoom out so that you can get everything from Santa Barbara to, uh, you know, Orange County. And look for pot dispensary. Okay, don't, don't do pot. In fact, don't do pot because you get Pottery Barn, um, which is a fine place. Do marijuana dispensary. And, and you'll see what the, there should be 300. There should be as many as there are Starbucks around here. But there's not. There are some very creative names, however. Um, a owner of a Wilmington pot store, Delta 9 THC, this, this would be Javier Montez, he spells out the problem as a legal business owner selling a legal product. He spells it out in a way that no one for the state could. He's struggling to compete with a large illicit market unburdened by the taxes he pays as a licensed business. He says, quote, because we're up against high taxes and the proliferation of illegal shops, it is difficult right now. We expected lines out of our doors but unfortunately, the underground market was already conducting commercial cannabis activity and are continuing to do so. Close quote. Uh, Mr. Montez, who received his city and state licenses back in January, said his business faces a 15 percent state excise tax, a 10 percent recreational marijuana tax by the city of L.A., a nine and a half percent sales tax by the county and state and a markup of more than 34 percent for uh, for a total. So you go legally into his place, and you're paying 34% more than if you just, you know, go to the guy you've been seeing for years. And since you're not going to be prosecuted for that anyway, why pay 34% more? Uh, Mr. Montez says there isn't enough enforcement against illegal operators, and the hard times have caused him to cut the number of employees at his shop 
in half this year from 24 to 12. So you understand how this works. It's supply and demand. This is so simple. And I'm pretty sure that Gavin went to – I know he played baseball in college, but even at Santa Clara, they expect you to occasionally darken the doorstep of a classroom, right? I, I mean, I my daughter understands this, and she sells eggs at Raise Farm Eggs on Facebook. Raise Farm Eggs. Um, it's supply and demand. You, you have to either – manufacture the demand through clever advertising or cute pictures of the ability to meet a chicken, uh, or you have to kill all the chickens for 100 miles. One of the two, or whatever, right? In, in this case, uh, the demand hasn't changed because if they're not enforcing the laws, because we decriminalized pot in California, part of this, it would have worked had they recriminalized certain possession levels and all that. There's no incentive to pay 34% more. And you and I know this because it's Thursday, it's two days after Christmas, and you're at work. I'm at work. Look, we're, we're busting ass. We're putting steaks in the freezer. We understand how business works. Gavin didn't get why this wouldn't work. And you know what? That's on him because San Francisco, at the same time uh, Villar was mayor here, it was virtually unlicensed. There was a former KFC in Northridge. That if you drove within 10 feet of it, you thought you were pulling into a Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was a pot shop. Okay? It was, they were all over the place. They were neighborhoods in Northridge. And people hated them. And because Villaraigosa allowed that crap to just, just sell anywhere. Gavin, up in the city of San Francisco, he limited the number of marijuana shops in San Francisco. There was a limit. And so it worked there. And you know why? Because he had a disincentive. He, that was baked into the cake. The state of California removed the disincentive years ago and then expected you all to go running off to a legal pot shop just because you wouldn't get that annoying ticket for having marijuana, which I don't know where the last one was issued. So how to F up a goose that lays a golden egg, California version. And they're wondering, the the geniuses that run the state and, and authored that measure are wondering why it's not happening. So at, uh, so what are we saying, 1230? We'll talk to uh, the – is he the California or the national president of NAMBLA? California. California, California president of NAMBLA. Uh, okay, normal, normal. normal. Uh, yeah, national yeah. Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We'll talk to him at 1230 uh, about this. But you get the bottom line here. High, high taxes for the legal stuff, virtually non-enforcement for the illegal stuff. It boils down to that. There, I saved you uh, 20 minutes of reading an L.A. Times story. And uh, I think 50 cents. Uh, back right after this, it is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. AM, 6.40 more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in a little later on today. We will talk to Andrew Molomack, this double murder of Van Nuys. Uh, still still uh, trying to put some flesh on those bones. Uh, except there, there was a, there's a father, he's one who reported it, LAPD saying he's not a suspect. So, uh, so there's that. Well, you millennials are just geniuses. And, and, and again, before, I, I just want to, before I move on, yeah, so we'll talk to the California president of the National Organization for, for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, who pretty much got what he wanted in this, but he'll help us parse through why it's failing in California, why there are not more pot shops. But 
if I sat down, and I mean, if I almost feel like doing a blind test on this with, with my daughter and saying, okay, um, we're going to legalize a thing that's been illegal. However, we haven't been enforcing that law for years, so people don't have an incentive to uh, – they don't have a disincentive to break the law. Or we're going to make that thing legal, and the only benefit is that the now virtually unenforced law won't, won't apply to you because you'll be legal. And you're going to pay way, way more for that thing. Like, whatever. Three Musketeers bars. It doesn't matter that it's marijuana. It can be whatever. And she would see through the, the inanity of that, 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 that would not succeed in, in a business sense. And that's why it's not. And it, there's no complexity to this. There's no need for commissions or studies or anything. If you put this business plan in front of anybody, and, and look, we had it. Uh, the reason I voted no on that was because I knew it wasn't really actually monetizing marijuana. If there's not a stick, then it doesn't matter that the carrot's legal. I'm going to go to my carrot dealer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to, to, to Johan the Belgian and say, hey, man, do you have any of that BC carrot you know, or whatever? Because there's no disincentive. He can even put a sign up, illegal carrots here by Johan of Belgium. And there's not going to be a cop there. If, if the state doesn't do its part and call something it's illegal, illegal, I mean, but we, we decriminalize it. And what they were afraid of doing was recriminalizing something that was legal. But the argument was pretty simple. It's, look, we're going to pass this package of laws and we're going to put marijuana back to where it was 30 years ago or whatever, but it won't matter. Uh, it, it only applies if you buy it from an unlicensed dealer because it's legal. Those, it doesn't need to be decriminalized anymore because it'll be legal. However, you're going to pay up to 35% more uh, for these carrots than Johan's carrots. It's from the same farm, or better farm, actually, because there's no, there's no uh, OSHA. At, where he grows his, there's no state inspections or anything. So uh, it's, it's, just, it's a mystery to me why it's a mystery to California. It's a mystery. That, but then again, we've solved it because it's not run like a business. Uh, you know, considering that we're living in a state with the largest retirement fund on earth, two of them, CalPERS and CalSTRS, they don't automatically fund it every year. They assume, I'm not making this up, this is according to John Chung, used to be the comptroller, they assume a 10% return. No matter what the economy is, state of California assumes a 10% return on those two retirement funds. And they don't finance it. They don't fund. They don't automatically fund it every year, just like every other state in this in this country does. First thing they do when the taxes come in, you fund the retirement fund. We don't do that. We kick it down the road and we assume a ten percent return every year. And so, imagine the shock on most Californians' faces when they learned that said retirement funds, according to John Chung, are four hundred billion plus underfunded. You know, jokes on you. When you retire to Idaho, they're uh, honky McGill driving around paying into CalPERS or whatever, uh, or fire person, or whoever you are. If you're relying on that fund, you, you know, you, whatever, theoretically you're going to get paid. But at some point, someday, the music stops and we got to find a $400 billion chair, and it just ain't there. And the state can't declare bankruptcy. It's literally unconstitutional. So, so that, believe it or not, that state, a state that plans so badly – a state that budgets so horribly came up with 
that measure last year thinking that this would legalize marijuana and make it economically viable. So um, there's that. I, I would imagine, I don't know how many millennials clicked on that particular clickbait, but CNBC says the following. Millennials are more prone to lose money in financial scams than their elders, according to newly released government data. And as I said, and I apologize, if I made a bad joke and Bill didn't know what Rick Rowling was, I apologize. But a friend of mine, a great Twitter feed, Iowa Hawk blog, uh, he he said that he attributed the millennial naivete about scams to the decline in rickrolling. And if you know what that is, then you you get the point. If you don't know what rickrolling is, um, there was a thing. I don't know. Ten years ago, uh, it, it, it came and went. But there was a thing uh, when social media first began its initial wave of adoption – uh, and 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 melding the Borg into our brains that we all feel like we have to tell each other what the hell we're eating every single day and all that crap. <clears throat> there was a thing. The world, the first clickbait uh, came up whatever ten years ago, and it was funny. It was it was basically like uh, like uh, you know when you knock on someone's door then you run away. There's a name for it. Can't use it. But uh, what's it called? When you no you know I can, there's a okay. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to put you in that position. The, so clickbaiting is basically that. Rick oh, Rowling is, is doing that. Gotcha. Um, so you you send someone a link. This is an amazing video. You've got to see this. Very enticing. And you click on it, and it starts with a boa constrictor playing the snare drums. <laughs> and about ten seconds into it, Rick Astley singing "Never Gonna Give You Up" comes on. Classic. Now, here's the thing. I always thought there's if that if that song annoyed you, then you got rickrolled. I've always liked. I thought that was a great song. What a great song! That's my karaoke go-to. Is it? Yeah. Did you do the shoulder shimmy too? From oh the yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> Never gonna give you. It's great. It's the best, right? And so I would. I, but it's funny. You think you're doing the thing. In fact, I have to admit, I rickrolled the Dark Secret Place <laughs> Twitter followers about a week and a half ago, um, because I anytime you get it. You feel like oh, I got to pass this on, and so so I did it, and and it's also and you know what you know what this reminds me of this makes me sad because the greatest karaoke place really in all of Los Angeles was Dimples, and it used to be right across the street, and you could go there. It's like Lena went there to get away from people. A lot of celebrities went there. It was this a really really grungy dive bar of a place? Dimples right across the street. It was the greatest karaoke bar uh, in L.A. And now it's a food hall, I'm mean, Whole Foods. So anyway, oh. anyway, so that's my karaoke story, but but um, so that's what Rick Rolling is, okay? And it, the what it effectively taught you about social media was that everyone's an idiot, and there's no such thing as a must see video, uh, and there's no such thing as uh, an amazing deal to get more Bitcoin, and so millennials, because millennials have not been subjected to Rick Rolling, they will click on absolutely anything. The Federal Trade Commission reported last week. In its annual data summary of consumer complaints that 40% of Americans in their 20s who reported fraud in 2017 uh, also said they lost money. By contrast, only 18% of victims aged 70 or older reported losing money. And we always have that stereotype that it's the old people, you know, that are uh, giving money to the poor son of the Nigerian minister of finance who's going to give you $100 million uh, and all that. I think because that came up 20 years ago. And, and 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 we heard all those horror stories. That's why older people don't bite it. We think that they're internet naive, but once man, once you survive that Nigerian Ministry of Finance scam, you never go back. The millennials have never 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 seen that. 
Uh, back right after this, it is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in. Uh, and the, the, the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, claims that uh, he wasn't in Prague in August of 2016. His son was being recruited by USC. But today we find out his cell phone says something else. Uh, that and more and more Rick Rolling right after this. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. AM, 640 more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits coming in for Gary and Shannon. And we were talking about uh, how millennials, who, who, frankly, they haven't had Lucy pull the football away as the, as the, you're lining up for the field goal. Uh, that, that's, that was an important life lesson that Peanuts, I think, gave us all. It, uh, well, don't trust women. But uh, secondly, uh, be ready for someone to pull the football away. And so in in the uh, snowflake world where nothing bad can happen, uh, and we've stopped rickrolling now. There's been a federal ban on rickrolling now for a decade. So that's, uh, that's the FTC saying that, uh, guess what, millennials are the most scammed. But I, I would say this. I'm, I, don't, I don't know if they've archived this or they've been doing this research for a long time. But in general, aren't... Younger people less savvy about scams and things like that than older people. I mean, weren't 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 there people buying you know snake oil a hundred years ago or hundred fifty years ago? Well, the older people were saying, "Turns out it doesn't cure anything." Uh, I don't know, not uh, not quite sure. Uh, well, so the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, uh, he's going to be doing jail time. He reports in. Uh, in I think March or something like that, and it's going to be one of those. Uh, it's going to be like a federal, you know, one of those day camps like they have up in Dublin, Dublin, California, and and there's more though. Uh, in in the Russian collusion stories that came that that started in 2015 and 2016, well before November of 2016, uh, there there was a report that. Michael Cohen personally had visited Prague and in Prague met with Russians, um, representatives of Russian intelligence, uh, who were purported uh, to have offered more intelligence than Hillary Clinton and all that. And Michael Cohen, uh, being a very wealthy guy and all that, didn't make him very worldly. He evidently, uh, I, I tend to believe this, uh, I, I tend to believe their story that they they honestly really didn't know that it was frankly illegal to get classified information from foreign intelligence services for a uh, American presidential candidate. Uh, and the the curious timing of the release of Hillary's emails uh, from Wikipedia, you know, following, uh, the, you know, Trump calling for that was, I, I thought, sort of a, a an alarm bell that most people didn't catch. And I guess I'm assuming too much. Let me let me start at the beginning with, with two things. Uh, if you think that Edward Snowden is a whistleblower, then punch yourself so that I don't have to chase you around, find you, and do it myself. He's a spy. Okay? He's not a whistleblower. He is a spy. That's what Edward Snowden is. Um, thing two, Wikipedia is not speaking truth to power. It is a front for Russian intelligence. Or you go on Wikipedia and you show me 
all of those financial documents that show Vladimir Putin's secret holdings. Right, If you do that, I'll agree that maybe they're whistleblowers. But since that would be a waste of your time and mine, let's just accept now that Wikipedia uh, is a, a front organization. It's a portal for Russian intelligence. And you know what that would make Sean Hannity? It would make him a moron for traveling to London and going to the Ecuadorian embassy and hugging, out, hugging it out with uh, Julian Assange. So now you're all adults. Now you're all, you all took the red pill. And you're all outside the matrix, okay? So there you go. Um, so Michael Cohen denied that he went to Prague, though there are open source aviation records showing he's 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 a rich guy. He travels on NetJet and all the other the different you know rent a rent a Gulfstream uh, services. Uh, he has been cooperating with the Mueller investigation since he pleaded guilty on August 21st. Um, if foreign intelligence intercepts are accurate, his cell phone pinged off cell towers in Prague in the late summer 2016, in fact, in August, at the height of the presidential campaign. So by August of 2016, recall, uh, the Republican Party had a candidate. Uh, and it, it's after that, now, now that the primary was over, theoretically, um, an, an operative, in this case, a, an associate of 10 years, Michael Cohen, uh, travels to Prague. And not very clandestinely, if his signal is getting uh, picked up and pinged around uh, in Prague. Anyway, but here's what happened. Here's why the joke's on him. Uh, an Eastern, Eastern European intelligence agency picked up conversations among Russians, one of whom remarked that Cohen was in Prague. Uh, two people familiar with this incident said, McClatchy's reporting today that the Cohen cell phone was in Prague in August of 2016 when he, he says he wasn't. But his cell phone says that he was. So where does he say he was, by the way, in August 2016? His official story, um, and, and I'm, I'm not going to go into sources and methods. His official story was that he was here. For the weekend that he was supposedly in Prague, he escorted his son here because USC was recruiting his son for baseball. That's the story. Bounce that story off a certain unnamed university um, somewhere in downtown, and you get crickets. And uh, I don't know if it's different at USC, but the other word is, well, you don't recruit in August for baseball. It's not when you do that. So so anyway, now, now you're up to speed. And I mean, um, I, I've been consistent on this, and the pieces seem to be falling into place, at least for Michael Cohen. For, for, for Cohen, it's not simply a matter of, well, he, he oh, well, they set you up and then they, uh, they make you lie, then they charge you for the lie. I, I agree. I, I understand. That's how that works. And it shouldn't be news to anyone that if you lie to the FBI, that's, all, that's a felony all unto itself. Um, but there, there was evidence and there were eyewitness sightings and all this in 2016 that somebody from the campaign who resembled Michael Cohen was in Prague meeting with P- and, and and here's why I feel like it's poor Michael Cohen. He was unaware of something. He was unaware of the fact that in Eastern Europe and in Western Europe, uh, the intelligence agencies are all members of NATO, and they are all monitoring Russian communications. It's like the Russians are monitoring their communications. And that <clears throat> you can't go to Prague and call the Russian consulate or Russian embassy without them listening in. So when an American cell phone registers on a Prague uh, tower. Czech intelligence knows this. 
And when a, a fairly prominent American who might might become more prominent very, very soon is is there only for two days or three days, then, yes, Czech intelligence is going to listen in. Um, so th- this, by the way, this is from McClatchy and Washington Post. So here's my caveat on this. Here's the, the asterisk. It may not be true. There, I said it. Uh, back right after this, it is the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. We're shooting myths down on KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Brian's it's filling in on the Gary and Shannon show. Gary and Shannon will be back when they're back. That's uh, we'll get there when we get there. You should have thought of that beforehand, shouldn't you? They will be back when they're back. So, uh, 24 hours ago, it was Trump isn't visiting the troops. It's Christmas. All the other presidents visited the troops and the troops and thank them for their service and sacrifice and uh, go down range and visit the troops, all that crap, right? Today it's, well, he was revealing classified information uh, uh, and the whole thing. Uh, so just for the fact, I mean, I mean just, just for, the, um, for the record, as long as we're, if you're playing the game of visiting the troops, and I'll tweet out my source here, it's The Hill, this is confirmed. Obama visited the troops each year at Christmas. Every year at Christmas, Obama visited the troops. He didn't miss a Christmas. You know, unlike Trump, who last year missed Christmas, Obama never missed visiting the troops at Christmas, and the troops never visited him. You know why? Because every year from 2009 to 2016, Obama visited the troops at Marine Corps Air Station, Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. I'm not kidding. I'm going to tweet that out. That that's that was his version of visiting the troops for Christmas. And if your criteria is go down range and uh, walk a mile in their uh, in their moccasins, comma uh, one each, comma digital camouflage, then he failed. He never spent a Christmas out of the United States. And and Secret Service would bomb him down the Kaneohe uh, Highway. I'm sorry, the the uh, Kamehameha Highway, Highway One on Oahu where I was born, the Kamehameha Highway, uh, down to Kaneohe Bay to KB. Actually, he would fly. He would fly. They rented a house every year or whatever, and then he would Osprey it. They, they would, they would uh, Marine One to Marine Corps Air Station, Kaneohe Bay. So he went to K-Bay every year of his presidency. So before, before you mount your high horse, you might want to let that horse run around a little bit because <clears throat> Obama visited the troops every Christmas at the same place at Kaneohe Bay Marine Corps Air Station in the United States. County of Oahu, state of Hawaii. So, there you go. Um, and yes, he did uh, visit, and uh, he did go downrange for other things, you know, and all that. But if, if, if you were playing that game, that Trump didn't do it last year, but okay, he mailed it in yesterday. Well, okay. But just for the record, just acknowledge to me that you are aware that Obama's version of a Christmas visit to the troops was the same place for eight years because, heck, he was in Hawaii anyway. And uh, producer Joey is my witness. I'm tweeting that out right now. Uh, That's just the link. So there he goes from the Hill. 
Um, all right. Well, so we are going to talk to Andrew Mullenbach about this uh, double murder in Van Nuys. We'll get to that uh, a little later on. And uh, then we're going to talk to the president of California Normal uh, here coming up at, uh, what are we doing him to 1220 uh, about this? Just because I can't to put uh, too fine a point on uh, what uh, a gigantic fail uh, legalized marijuana has been in in California. Like I say, the the you can salvage the. This is not the, the nose is not headed for the ground on this. It's salvageable, but what you have to do is give people a disincentive. Uh, so we'll uh, we will uh, get to that uh, with him. And so uh, there you go. Um, this is a big story. Bill Handel and I were talking about this, and I think he's going to have um, he's going to have uh, <clears throat> Mr. Thomas in tomorrow. Uh, to talk politics, I so I don't want to mail chicken block him on that one, but this is a big deal. Do you all know that we are now part of Super Tuesday? And Super Tuesday, of course, uh, the, the out west here for for the hodgepodge for, uh, for the the quilt of states that don't participate in Super Tuesday. Um, it's been uh, you know kind of a excitement kill. Uh, I'll, I'll say because it seems like Super Tuesday is setting the nominee. For uh, for the upcoming you know presidential election, and that we're out of it because our primary was was so much later, and many West Coast uh, states didn't participate in it. Now the other states that did Super Tuesday, their whole thing was well, we're our effect this that uh, we're counterbalanced by the size of California. That's why we've moved up our primary to March. We have to do this so that we matter. If we don't matter, then the candidates. Don't come and visit us, and we don't get a you know Trump seven fifty seven flying into you know the poopy poopy town Iowa or whatever. So we don't get candidates. We're uh, no one pays attention to us because we, you know we we grow pigs and corn because we're North Kiowa Zuri, you know or whatever. So we are now effectively at forty million people in the state of California. I'm no longer going to say thirty nine million. <clears throat> we're at forty million people. We're holding we're holding steady at fifty fifty nine counties. We're hands down uh, the largest state in the union by any measurement you want to use. We're the fifth largest economy on earth. Um, we're the largest in population, the whole thing. We could wipe our butts with Canada uh, and, and you, whatever you want to uh, uh, put it. But our primary vote almost seems like it doesn't matter. So if you don't know this, it's going to be in March. What The effect of that, and I, I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of radio, but there's an effect that we'll be feeling uh, early voting in California's primary will overlap with the traditional early nominating contests in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. That could force the sprawling field of Democrats to navigate those states, as well as California's notoriously complex landscape, where campaigning is done through paid political ads. Uh, and, and this is where I guess I would have to talk to the Garcetti team, to Team Garcetti, and ask them, why is your boy running around New Hampshire? When California is going to, you could, you can fit uh, 30 New Hampshire's. I'm highballing that. You could, you could fit 50 New Hampshire's into California. Why is he undergoing all that airfare? Why is he polluting? Why is he creating all that CO2? His campaign is killing one polar bear per day, man. Why isn't he just in California? He could actually do his job at the actual city hall and the actual city where he's allegedly mayor. And then in the afternoons, he could run around California. We now matter as much as New Hampshire. Our primary is going to be the same day. We're effectively 
going to have a nationwide primary. We're going to have the candidate on March 4th for both parties. So why? And this is what the other states are whining about. Because they're saying, well, now these candidates aren't going to visit New Hampshire uh, or Iowa or, or any of them. Because why, why would you? Why would you go to a state of 6 million when there's 40 million in California? So this, this is going to be a watershed event uh, in March. What you're going to hear, here, here's how this is going to work. This is how it's going to affect you uh, coming up in about two months. I'm sorry, in, in, uh, in 2000, uh, 2020, in about a year and three months. It's that when they had those contests way before California, a lot of candidates between Super Tuesday and California would drop out. And uh, is California in play for the presidential election? No, probably not, because Trump's going to be the nominee, and he's not going to waste a trip or a dime in California, because whoever the Democrat is, uh, they're going to take California hands down. So we're not going to have a lot of uh, advertising. You're not going to be hearing political commercials during, uh, after the state, con- after the party conventions. But leading up to March of 2020, you're going to be hearing it from everybody, from Democrats and Republicans. They all have to – they want the delegates in, in California. You're going to be hearing every Republican – pardon me, every Democrat is going to set up shop here from uh, – I'm, I'm going to – wild stab, Beto O'Rourke. Okay, He's going to be all over the place here. Uh, is, he gonna, is he going to resonate? Eh, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, because in California, you have to resonate with Hispanic Democrats. And when people find out that his actual name is, you know, Shecky or Levi or whatever, his, his name is not Beto. Okay? And he is not Hispanic. And, oh, by the way, he's phenomenally wealthy because he married extremely well. He married a very rich woman. He's Robert not a, Francis. Robert. Wow. Bobby Frank. Bobby Frank O'Rourke. It's not Beto. He didn't earn that name in a blood-in uh, ceremony. <laughs> oh, no. With, <laughs> sorry. No, it's, it's like calling yourself, it's like a Japanese guy calling himself Sven, you know, or, or me, you know, running around, uh, you know, with an Arapaho name. Or no, my name is Parks for Free in Burbank. You know, no. It's, it just, he made it up. Beto, he's, he's you know, it, it's, it's phony. And he's, I don't think he's going to do well here because you're, I think, uh, you're going to have Kamala as the leader of the pack in California. Um, I think she has a heads up in California for that primary, and but can just California carry her for a Democratic nomination? Because she is virtually a stranger to uh, much of the rest of the country. And to be fair, she's honestly kind of a stranger. Um, for the, for the primary, people that are more involved get get out for the primary. So you have to be more to the left. She's pretty damn left. Um, people remember that she was Attorney General. They just don't remember she wasn't a very good one. Uh, they remember that she – some people remember she was city attorney of San Francisco, but they don't remember um, uh, about the Bologna family. But uh, don't worry. I'll be uh, re- reminding you. But what this means is that they're going to be spending money on primary advertising here and on TV like they never have before because California hasn't been in play for the presidential election. So uh, – and, and the primaries are usually done. The nominee is, has a huge lead by the time we get to California. Well, that is changing for next year, March March 3rd, 2020, we are going to be part of Super Tuesday. Uh, so there is that. Uh, all right, we'll take a break on the Gary and Shannon Show. Be back right after this. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It just takes some time.
KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is Gary and Shannon show. Brian sits filling in for Gary and Shannon. We're at, we're at two escapees, and now, Monica Ricks, did you see we've got another one? Oh, no. I need to play the intro. Not in this case, though, but uh, until I have a assault with a deadly weapon <laughs> intro, uh, we'll have to go with homicide. Uh, have you seen this guy's uh, CalDoc induction photo? What's his name? Shalom Mendoza. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, uh, I've met, you know, I, I, I know that that's, that doesn't make him, uh, well, I'm not going to, I don't know what his background is. By golly. What's above his eyebrow? Shit. Well, that, that would on? be the tat. I'm trying to f- get this here because they have a physical on it. But uh, we already have two down. One guy came out of a, uh, a firefighting camp academy uh, in the San Gabriels near Wrightwood. I forget what it's called. Camp uh, camp rehabilitation. 50, 50-year-old guy. The other guy came out of uh, Folsom. Folsom. Out mm-hmm. of Folsom. And he was walking away in June of next year. I know. Uh, uh, and, and he decided, oh, you know what I want? I want 10 more years of my sentence. Okay, now we have a third dude. And uh, for people who don't know, L.A. County is responsible for one-third of the entire jail population in the state of California. Uh, so don't say we don't punch above our weight. Well, and that is no different with Shalom Mendoza. Corrections officials are asking for help for uh, in Thursday in their search for an escaped inmate believed to have carjacked someone while fleeing from San Quentin State Prison. I thought that place is unescapable. 21-year-old Shalom Mendoza was reported missing around 9.35 p.m. Wednesday during a count uh, during a game of Marco Polo at the California Department of Corrections and Rehab. An immediate search of the surrounding area, blah, 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 did not locate Mendoza, who authorities believe carjacked a victim not far from the prison. Investigators are searching for a Toyota RAV4, year unknown, with California license plate 6 Sam Tom Zebra 502, 6 Sierra Tango Zulu 502, or for you civilians, 6STZ 502, Toyota RAV4. Mendoza was sent to San Quentin Prison from L.A. County on December 20th, 2017. It was a rainy day. He was serving a five-year sentence for use of a deadly weapon during a carjacking slash attempted carjacking <laughs> and evading or attempting to evade a peace officer while, while driving recklessly. Am I nuts? I remember this pursuit. Oh my God! Anyway, from last uh, when there was like three of them, and that I was, okay. yeah, what is oh my God? Okay, well anyway, doesn't matter. Not not germane to the topic at hand that this miscreant has now this scofflaw is now amongst the good people of California. So anyway, he was uh, serving five year sentence. Da 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 da. Uh, Mendoza was described as a Hispanic man with short brown hair and brown eyes. He stands five uh, feet five inches tall, weighs about one seventy seven. But he's got tats, and over his right eyebrow, it says something E-R-R-Y and then a dollar sign. And so I think it says dirty money. That's exactly what it says. Yeah, Yeah, dirty money. (laughs) Yo, girl, swipe left on me. Well, swiping left is a no. Oh, swipe right on me. It's going to rain. It's going to rain fat stacks when dirty money, (laughs) dirty dirty money, uh, single, no baby mamas, no no shorties at all. We don't know that. (laughs) We have have no idea 
what Dirty so... Money's been up to before he got locked up. Oh, my God. What we do, uh, car, uh, carjacking slash attempted carjacking. Uh, so anyway, anyone who sees Shalom Mendoza was asked to contact law enforcement or call 911. Whatever you do, don't, don't yell, Shalom! Uh, San Quentin State Prison houses 4,200 inmates. Just imagine if he was in Fairfax and one of his homies recognized him and yelled, Shalom, everybody would turn around. That's a stereotype. I apologize that. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so uh, uh, for that. So again, for the record, San Quentin, the Q, as it's known, was opened in 1852, California's oldest state prison, but not not immortalized in song like Folsom. Uh, anyway, 4,200 inmates. Uh, every single one of them deserves to be there, but thank you, Prop 47 and 57. So anyway, now Shalom Mendoza is out. And and I don't know what he was going to – he was – his sentence – For this, he probably would have been back in county in a year or two, and then the revolving door would have hit him in the ass, and Shalom Mendoza would have gone back to Silmar and said, Shalom, and uh, and that. So anyway, that's the third guy. We have third guys out there in the mix, three guys in the mix. We've got two whiteies and a Hispanic guy. So, yeah, two Honky McGills. The the Folsom guy's a white dude, right? And then Forest Fire Camp, 50-year-old guy. That's a white guy who looks like character actor Rod Steiger of the 60s. So we got two whiteies and a Hispanic guy, and uh, I'm guessing they're out of the orange jumpsuits by now. So there we go. Uh, back right after this, uh, hour number two, we're going to talk to the California president of Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, which I thought would have factored itself out of existence because we legalized it. But California's uh, fi- found a way to screw up legal marijuana. That's like bankrupting a casino. Who would do that? KFI AM640, more stimulating talks. Oh, Kendrick Lamar is huge. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is Gary and Shannon. I'm Gary Hoffman, and I'm Shannon Farron, and we're on vacation. We'll be back when we're back, and not a second before. Uh, We'll talk to Andrew Mullenbeck at 120 about the Van Nuys double murder. I'll give you those details. Uh, here in just a second, and Dr. Dale Geringer of Normal. We'll talk to him about why legalized marijuana is rev- is a revenue fail in the state of California. Uh, and uh, other stuff. And this, I, I, this is sort of the other shoe that we always uh, wait uh, to, to drop in this. <clears throat> but the uh, suspect in the killing... Of uh, Newman PD officer Ronil Singh up in uh, Central California, uh, in Stanislaus County, uh, is, has not been named, but uh, the suspect is said to ha- said to be an illegal alien. So uh, there is that. They also said that uh, the suspect probably is still in Stanislaus County. Um, you're the home of Modesto, and uh, I, I lived there for a couple of years. Um, and so uh, more more updates on that. There, There's a couple. There's great pictures, um, and I'll, I'll tweet those out if you haven't. Oh, actually, I did tweet them out yesterday. There's a statewide be on the lookout uh, for the suspect who they're still not naming, but um, the certain certain connections that certain fill-in radio hosts have with uh, Stanislaw County uh, Sheriff's Department and Modesto PD uh, say that this was a, somebody who was a frequent flyer <clears throat> up there and probably should have been deported on several counts but was not, and uh, killed the officer 
uh, what, two days now, uh, two days ago. So, And they uh, did find his truck about four miles oh, the, from the crime scene. The, so. initial, the initial truck mm-hmm. uh, that he was seen uh, fleeing in. Okay. Um, but, but, yeah, for, they have reasons to believe uh, that the suspect is still still in uh, Stanislaus County. So uh, there you go. Uh, we'll, we'll have updates on that. Uh, meanwhile, here in the Southland in Van Nuys, <clears throat> uh, an investigation is underway after a mother and her 13-year-old son were found dead inside of a Van Nuys apartment. A man called LAPD around 11 p.m. last night after he walked into the apartment and discovered the bodies of his wife and son. Investigators said the deaths do not appear to be murder-suicide. They added that the father was cooperating with police uh, and is not in custody, hasn't been detained, uh, meaning is not a suspect. An investigation has continued into Thursday morning at the scene, uh, 13,800 block of Oxnard, where coroner officials were expected to pick up the bodies today. LAPD Detective Megan Aguilar said the killings did not appear random, either the victims or the location were targeted. The bodies have signs of trauma, but it's not yet clear how the victims died. So we'll have more from Andrew Mullenbeck on that a little uh, a little later on. And I, you know, I I, I have no problem admitting that uh, I'm I'm not alone when I say that I I do I do get more shocked when uh, when animals are mutilated and hurt. And we have another one of those. And I hate saying another one of those, but we have another one of those. A 10 to 12 week old pit bull puppy named Pablo, I don't know who named it, is recovering after undergoing extensive surgeries for broken bones he suffered from abuse. December 11th, Hancock Park, uh, he was found by a dog named Roxy and her family. The pup was inside of a backpack with the the muzzle taped shut. So I, I assume the intent was to suffocate the dog, except dogs can breathe through their nose. The family who found him took him to a veterinary care center off Santa Monica Boulevard. The puppy required major orthopedic surgery, and Hope for Paws sponsored him. Uh, Dr. Lisa Yun said, you would never even know that anything was wrong with him. He's the most loving, playful little guy. He tries to scamper about. He has a big splint on, but it doesn't stop him at all. He will lick every face of everyone that comes near him. That's what sucks about that, is that uh, dogs, dogs don't seek revenge. You know, if I would change that about dogs that get abused, it would be to to uh, to give them a revenge streak because, and that's what really sucks about people that abuse their dogs is that no matter what they do to the dog, the dog still wags its tail when it sees the person who's abusing them. So f that person. That's what I say. Um, police are seeking additional victims of a dude with a fake badge in La Habra. Investigators are seeking possible additional victims of the La Habra flasher, flasher of the badge. Uh, this is a guy who uh, assaulted, kidnapped, and uh, and by having a fake law enforcement badge. Authorities said the man, Cameron Abbas Muhammad, a 31-year-old, approached a woman in her mid-20s sitting alone in a courtyard at Fullerton High School around 2 a.m. on September 29th. He allegedly grabbed her and pulled her to the ground before forcing her towards his vehicle. The victim managed to escape and alert Fullerton police, who then collected DNA samples from her skin uh, officials determined the perpetrator to be Kamran Abbas Muhammad. Officials, according to officials, the Habra police previously had arrested this dude in February on suspicion of possessing a forged official seal after conducting a search warrant of his home. Five days earlier, somebody turned in a backpack to La Habra PD after finding it <clears throat> uh, at Imperial Middle School. It contained what appeared to be 
a law enforcement badge that had uh, Muhammad's photo along with a false name. The bag additionally contained his license, credit cards, handcuffs, and a stun gun. The agency added, but if you called Central Casting, if you called props and said, yeah, we need a kidnapper kit pronto for uh, NCIS Burbank or whatever, that's what they would deliver, a backpack with... Uh, where, where, where are we going? Did a license, credit cards, fake badge, handcuffs, and a stun gun. Uh, he also allegedly possessed at his residence replica handguns, pepper spray, stun guns, rope, zip ties, and other binding materials, as well as multiple articles of tactical gear. So, uh, again, that's, that's ladies, that's a swipe left on, on that guy. But hobbies, uh, collecting uh, flex cuffs. Real handcuffs, other other ways of binding human beings, and I'm a collector of badges. Sort of a hobby. Uh, anyway, he was detained again on December 7th, a day after the Orange County DA's office charged him with two felony counts of possession of Ford's official seal. He remained in jail on $1 billion bail. His next court appearance was scheduled for Friday. <clears throat> so uh, there you go. So the, he is he's in the Huskow. I'm bearing the lead on this. The guy is in the Huskow. But uh, if ye, uh, if you, ye women of La Habra, that seems to be what he's targeting. If, if you were approached by a man, and we don't have a physical on him, but if you were approached by a man who uh, just made you hinky because the badge was a little plasticky and he was coming at you with flex ties, then uh, you might want to contra- contact the uh, OC uh, DA's office. That would be 714-834-3424. There's a lot of fours there. Uh, 714-834-3424. I'll try to come up with a mnemonic uh, for that. But uh, so anyway, uh, you know what would fit would be Dirtbag. If OCDA's office doesn't grab 714 Dirtbag, then they're frankly just not doing their job. Come on, Spitzer. Um, we'll be back right after this. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. Gary Hoffman here as well as Shannon Farron. And we'll be back right after this. KFI 640, more stimulating talk. Um, 6.40 more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon Show. If you read the LA Times today, uh, you'll see a uh, article detailing how California's managed to mess up legal marijuana. And if you voted for that uh, measure, you were promised just uh, revenues uh, just coming out of the wazoo. But California's found a way to screw that up. Uh, so, helping us navigate this, Dr. Dale uh, Geringer from the National Organization for the Reformation of Marijuana Laws. Did I say your name right? That's right. Um, right. <clears throat> hey, first question. Now that marijuana is legal in California, why do you guys even exist? Well, first of all, it's only half legal, you know. That's true. It's still totally illegal under federal law, and there's still people being discriminated against in jobs, uh, in actually medical treatment, or law. veterans are not getting treatment. Uh, there's a lot of problems still uh, out there. Um, but here in California, this is this the bar is legalize it, and, and ne- never mind the business model. Uh, are, are you guys satisfied for citizens of California that it, it is de facto now completely legalized? Um, yeah, we're satisfied with that, but. I think there's a problem with the prices out there and the costs due to the uh, regulations and the taxes. And that is what – have you read this L.A. Times article? Well, I mean, you're in it. You're quoted in uh, it. But, yeah, so I've read it. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, uh, this is what I don't get because this was predictable in the language of the measure last year. If there was 
no disincentive to continue buying it illegally. Why do they expect people to walk in and pay 34% more for it to be uh, the legal weed? Well, that's honestly, that's a good question. We had misgivings about the uh, bill as it was written. We backed it because it it uh, decriminalized marijuana and got a lot of people out of prison, and we thought that was really important to do. Uh, but uh, we saw that there were a lot of complications with the taxes and regulations and that uh, it was going to be very hard to get um, long-time consumers to uh, uh, be satisfied with the new regulated system, which they're not. I mean, a lot of us are out there, you know, uh, relying on informal networks of homegrown supplies, which fortunately are to some extent legal. Um, and do you, do you think somewhere out there there really is someone who said to their dealer, I'm sorry, but until your license, I shall have to opt for completely legal marijuana. I mean, if you go to if 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 you want to honk a fatty, you go to your old guy, and in you're not going to be prosecuted anyway. You're just going to save thirty four percent. Um, that's true, actually. Um, uh, I think even the state authorities saw that this was coming. Um, um, they predicted early on uh, in, in their own uh, reports that uh, there would be at least as much use uh, out of the legal market as in it, at least to begin with. You know, I think in the long term this is going to work out. Prices will adjust. Uh, the uh, supply system will be up in place. But it isn't now, and it's going to take a couple years to get there. And you would have to recriminalize unlicensed marijuana sales. So it would still be legal, but you have to get a license. Just like if I can't sell the cider that I'm making allegedly in my basement until I have a license. No, that's true. I mean, that's been true for a while, actually. Uh, but uh, it's going to be enforced, I think, more rigorously starting in January, uh, because up until January of this uh, 2019, uh, there's still been some remnants of our old medical marijuana law that we had hanging around there, and that which was a very loose law and allowed all of these uh, shops to sort of open up uh, uh, wherever they could find a, an empty uh, shopping center uh, in you know around the state. Those places have sort of had a legal hook to defend themselves, but that's disappearing in January 9th, actually. And we expect there will be some sort of a crackdown then, but I don't think a crackdown is going to be very effective unless there is adequate legal supply. And unfortunately, uh, according to the latest data here, we only have like 547 uh, licensed dispensaries in the entire state, and there were over 2,000 of them operating under the old medical marijuana system before. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I'm sorry for using a colloquial phrase like honk a fatty. It's just that I want to relate to you young kids and your, your marijuana and your rock and roll. But that's not me. I've been in this since, I mean, I'm 72 years old, all right? I've been, our organization has been around since 1972 working on legal marijuana, and we're still working on it because we've got to get to get some of these taxes reduced, and we've got to get rid of some of the federal restrictions and uh, certainly uh, get a lot more of the local governments here in California on board with uh, licensing dispensaries. 
Well, I can I can dig that, bro. I find you groovy. Uh, thanks for uh, talking to us, and uh, maybe okay, some, maybe someday curious. California will uh, will make some money on this. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, hang loose. All right, there he goes. Uh, you know, <laughs> Joey, you gave me a list of phrases to use with these kids. It didn't work. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, Those phrases were on a list. No, I thought it was lit AF. Okay, it there we go. It wasn't. I, now you're speaking I, my language. I dialed it back to 1968, and he still didn't. Uh, didn't. I found it on BuzzFeed. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, nevertheless, he was a groovy chap, and I and a spiffing bloke, and I and I say 23 skidoo to him all day long. Uh, we'll come back with Ali Rogan. Uh, if you're still alive with the federal government shut down, we'll tell you where you can get your free government cheese. And uh, how is the nation surviving a federal government? Shut down. Ali Rogan from ABC News will join us right after this. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Forty more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show. Brian Suits filling in when uh, April Rogan, pardon me, uh, 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 Ali Rogan from ABC uh, calls in. We'll have her immediately. Uh, a, a, oh, we'll get her just a second here. We'll we'll get to this. Uh, the mystery of Nancy Paulikas uh, is apparently solved. She went missing in 2016 at the LACMA, LA County Museum of Art, uh, and has been identified by the coroner. But, but that's not the mystery. The mystery is how did she get to Sherman Oaks? Uh, we'll get to that here in just a second. <clears throat> and Allie Rogan uh, joins us for ABC News. Uh, Allie, I don't know about you, but uh, everything has come to a halt here in Los Angeles because of this here federal government shutdown. Really? No. <laughs> but I haven't gotten my free cheese yet. I don't know where to get for my, my free cheese. I should point out the FCC... If you really want to affect the public, you you lay off everybody at the FCC. But they don't have a giant switch for ABC News or KFI Radio. So I don't really no. – I, I don't know anyone who's affected by the federal shutdown. Well, that's a really good point. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you. Um, you know, the people obviously who are feeling this – um, most directly are the folks who work in Washington. So a lot of those people live in uh, the northern Virginia area and Maryland, certainly uh, the other side of the country. And a lot of basically people like you and me who don't deal with these services and agencies on a really daily basis probably won't feel this for the duration of the shutdown because A lot of the folks that we interact with on a daily basis, um, you know, when we're going to the airport, folks at the TSA, um, if you do business at the border, uh, Customs and Border Patrol, uh, those people are mostly deemed essential government workers. And that means that the government has said, we cannot function without you at work. So we're basically just going to have you work without pay. So and then once we reopen the shutdown, we're going to give you all the back pay that you are owed so you know there are a lot of people who and that, are, by the way re, yeah. say that again a lot of people don't know this it's like in in my business if uh if you don't work you don't get paid uh but these these furloughed workers are going to get a big fat back pay check 
Yeah, that's right. And there's there's furloughed workers. So about half of the people who are affected by this shutdown, and I want to add another wrinkle here, this is a very partial government shutdown. It affects about 25% of the federal government. The rest of the government has already been funded and is working just fine. People are at work. They are not affected. But about half of the employees, half of that 800,000 who are affected by this shutdown are furloughed, which means they have to stay home, and they're not getting paid for the time that they're spending at home when they'd rather be working. Um, and for or, the people, or would they? Or what? Yeah, we're talking like, federal workers here. Well, hey, come on! A lot of those people I know, and you know, they're all they're all hard workers. They're, they're men and women who they're just they're just trying to make it through the day, just like you and me. It's all but, the it's all the DMV window to me. <laughs> those people, yes. Maybe those people we can uh, we can make an exception for. But look, I mean, a lot of these people, they're home without pay, and there's no actual guarantee that they're going to receive any of that back pay. Congress has always later passed legislation to approve their back pay, but they have no certainty of that right now. So, you know, a lot of them are sitting around wondering, hey, you know, this – it's it's not really a paid paid time off. It's hey, I'd rather be working because I've budgeted for you know pulling an X amount of money this year, and I'm not about to get that. So where does this leave me? So it's a lot of uncertainty, really. Even though it doesn't affect uh, that many people directly right now. Again, we're talking about 800,000 federal workers, but you know it leads to a general sense of uncertainty, and and certainly uh, this isn't the way that Washington is supposed to work. I'm sure it's leading to a lot of Fortnite and uh, PUBG and Minecraft servers crashing, however. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and PS4, a, an unprecedented demand for PlayStation 4 well, here, online. I mean, a lot of people did have, like, holiday plans. They were going to travel or whatever, but, you know, a lot of them had to cancel it because they're like, hey, if I'm – I mean, you know, obviously they have the federal holidays. Those are paid, but they just can't. If they don't know that they're getting paid, they just they just can't budget for these things. You know, a lot of people are living – even if you work for the federal government, you may not have enough money to where you can live in any sort of way that's not dependent on your most recent paycheck. So the, the, the federal workers are expecting their um, paycheck for the last two weeks tomorrow. So yeah. on December 28th, they get their paycheck for the past two weeks – that is expected to contain all the money that they've already earned working the last two weeks. But then the next federal pay period, January 11th, there is no certainty what they're going to be receiving. And I don't know about you, but if I were told, hey, you've been working for two weeks and I don't know how much that's going to be reflected in your paycheck at the end of the next pay period, I'd freak out. Uh, is traffic measurably uh, less dense in D.C.? <laughs> well, you know, that's a good question, and I think a lot of it, the traffic situation, uh, you can't discount the fact that it's still the holidays, so a lot of people maybe did take, like, the whole week off or what. You know, it's just a weird time at the end of the year. It, we're in this weird week between Christmas and New Year's. So uh, I can tell you that I'm getting a lot of out-of-the-office messages, and I'm not surprised. So um, traffic is definitely lighter, but I don't know that that's a direct uh, effect of this shutdown. Yeah, I'm just trying to see what the, you know, what the downside of this is. If you're, if you're, if you're the other 329,200,000 Americans, what, what is the downside? But yeah, we'll see. We're still, we're still being defended, right? The B-2s are up orbiting. Yeah, exactly. Good, okay. You know, most 
you and me, if, if, if nobody was reporting on the shutdown, I don't know that we would even know it was taking place. But again, <laughs> it's more of a reflection of how broken Washington is now. And, and that's not a political statement. That's just the reality of the situation. All right, uh, Ali Rogan, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, you, you get back to your to, – to, you, you endure where you are. You <laughs> – well, someone's got to cover all the all the people, you know, at home playing Fortnite. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll I'll talk to you soon. Uh, there she goes, Ellie Rogan for ABC News. Back right after this. Yeah. The 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 mystery uh, of a woman missing since 2016, last seen near LACMA downtown at the LA County. Uh, pardon me. The, the LA. Uh, uh, whatever the hell it stands for. I just say the LA County Museum of Art. The LACMA disappears 2016. She's been found. Uh, but where she's been found is the mystery. That and more coming up. It is uh, Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Not a yes, sir. Not a follower. Fit the box, fit the mold. Have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder. Will Velma... Fire up the mystery machine. Okay, if I am 640, more stimulating talk. The Gary and Shannon show. Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. They'll be back when they're back. Uh, Miracle Mile. There, the LACMA, L.A. County Museum of Art. Uh, Nancy Paulikas is, uh, was 56 when she went missing in 2016. Uh, by the way, if you've never been down to LACMA, it really is cool. It's that, uh, it's, it's that iconic... I don't know what the installation's called, but all those old street lights that were uh, recovered from various uh, towns in LA County. Uh, now they're in tight, tight rows uh, there. It's a, and ur- urban light. I'm, I'm urban sure there's light. stuff inside too. There might be, yeah. Well, yeah. who would know by all this, all the pictures and selfies you see of the place? Yeah. It's all oh, I, just, of that I know. Yeah. That's why I don't do. I used to drive by there every night on the way to this other place for a morning show, and uh, every morning, and I never stopped and took a picture because it's just ubiquitous. But it's right next to uh, La Brea Tar Pits, uh, which definitely, absolutely, I have to take my daughter there because that, if you have kids and you haven't been to La Brea Tar Pits, uh, go there. Uh, really, really Can you cool. go if you don't have kids? No, it serves a sign. All right. No. And also, they do a monthly, L.A. City Humane Society does a monthly dog adopt a thon there. And it's, it's a really, really cool event. I got to give them a shout out for that. They bring very adoptable dogs down there so uh, good luck finding some parking find the parking check out the dogs and then take the dog through the uh, la brea tar pit museum but that's not what we're talking about <clears throat> uh, a years-long search for a woman with alzheimer's ended with the tragic discovery of her remains uh, she went missing in 2016 the coroner's office has confirmed last night that nancy Polikas, uh 56 when she went missing uh, is the set of remains found at Fossil Ridge Park, seven miles away, above Sherman Oaks. Uh, here is Veronica Miracle from Channel 7. I forgot the call letters here right down the street. It's busy and bustling here, as it was the day that Nancy Palakis went missing. And we did speak to her family today. They say her bones were discovered miles from here. 
A years-long search for a woman with Alzheimer's has ended in the tragic discovery of her remains. 56-year-old Nancy Palakis went missing in 2016 while out with friends and family at LACMA. But tonight, the coroner's office confirms her remains were found more than seven miles away from where she went missing. Her remains were discovered at Fossil Ridge Park in an area above Sherman Oaks. The L.A. County Coroner's Office says a part of her skull was charred when discovered on the hillside. The remains were found in the last few months, but relatives say they were just notified of Nancy's DNA match. In the years following his dependent wife's disappearance, Kirk Moody led searches for his wife while pleading for her return. The police have been all over this. We've looked at countless hospitals, residential care facilities. We've, of course, checked the coroner's offices. We've checked the homeless populations. We've really done a very extensive search, and yet we don't have a single clue of where she could possibly be. And tonight, Moody told us in a statement, Nancy's family and I hope that her story will continue to inspire efforts like L.A. found to help increase consciousness, prevent, and locate at-risk people who might wander. The- so, you, how? You know, that, that's what's... And I don't know what fossil, whatever park is in Sherman Oaks. And I'll admit, I didn't know there was a park around Sherman Oaks. Uh, I, I, I didn't know that there was a, a square inch in the hills above Sherman Oaks that wasn't spoken for with some celebrity living there. But uh, anyway, there's Fossil Ridge Park. Okay, so in my experience, uh, between here and, let's say, Encino, anywhere 10 feet off Mulholland, if there is a a green spot or a green space or whatever – pretty densely uh you know visited and so i'm just i'm trying to come up with you know a likely scenario how how someone could wander seven miles from downtown la from mid midtown to sherman oaks come come out of dtla well not exactly dtla but but you know what i'm talking about miracle mile and get over the hill uh to to sherman oaks so i just uh it's it's a mystery and i don't know now that she's been identified um, I, I I don't know if uh, L.A. is treating it as a potential homicide uh, or or whatever. It's just, but it's a it's a real mystery. But you heard her say that the skull was partially charred. So uh, I I don't know. I I guess I would be looking into it. But then again, for people who don't listen to Super Hyper Local Sunday, uh, you'll you'll recall a couple months ago we had a body. Just, I mean, just 20 feet from Kern County, the northern edge of L.A. County, this body is found, and it's in a well, and it's been burnt. And it's brought downtown. The coroner's office looks at it, and they decide about, via X-ray that it it nearly matched the physicals of a missing young white male, 29-year-old guy, in and out of jail, uh, you know, uh, estranged from his family and all that. And I got to the point where they actually identified or they actually notified the family. And they said, we think we think we found your son uh, and uh, we found his remains uh, in a well way out east of Lancaster. Uh, obviously, it was homicide and uh, we're working on it and the whole thing. So about a month later, L.A. County Coroner's Office contacts the family and says, oh, we have an update. Uh, so the good news is this, that the remains are not your son. Um, and uh, the bad news is your son uh, is alive but in jail. Or the bad news is we badly misidentified your son's remains as his remains. We falsely or incorrectly identified these remains as his remains. Good news is he's alive, but he needs bail. Because he was in jail up north, and 
what was it? The somebody in uh, county jail up north saw the story and it and it and it said body identified as whatever you know Bill Smith, and he said, "Well, that's so weird because we have that exact guy up here in our jail up here in Merced or whatever the hell it was. I think it was it was like Merced, and uh, and that's how they found out." And and so that body, by the way, uh, because we've been following that story, that's still unidentified. Um, so you have that, and and I don't know how much energy they expend on a case uh, to keep it from getting cold, but that one is getting uh, really cold. Uh, this one's two years old. I do remember the the alert about the the woman missing at the age of fifty six, because unlike somebody with dementia who's missing at the age of eighty. I mean, you know, the bottom line is they're not going to get real far, but that this woman was a very active hiker and, and things like this. She was uh, in her 40s and 50s. Uh, yes, she had Alzheimer's, but she was she was active. She was physically active. And so I don't know whether if there's a working theory on that. But anyway, she disappears. She's found seven miles away in Sherman Oaks um, and and uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and now now identified. So. Uh, there's your mystery <clears throat> if you need a uh, mystery kid. So when we come back uh, next hour, Andrew Mullenbeck will join us about the double murder in Van Nuys uh, and working theories on that. Also, the board at Tesla have to starting starting soon will have to approve the tweets by the founder and chairman, the, a billionaire by the name of Elon Musk. Right after this, it is Gary and Shannon Bryan suit filling in KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk. Six forty more stimulating talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show. Brian suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. And somebody, there's speculation now. A U.S. Air Force C-37B, which is what you and I call a Gulfstream Five, left Washington D.C. Uh, about three hours ago to Orlando, and we have to ask our uh, local Florida expert uh, about a, a spotter. Blake, uh, Mar-a-Lago, is that... Uh, oh, do you <laughs> you have some passing knowledge of America's wacky estate? Um, yeah. If you... Born, raised, worked there? Do you wrestle the gators? I did not. I don't mess with the gators. But I was a gator at the University of Florida. Do... If I were to go... If I were to leave my husband, uh, let's <laughs> let's call him Bonald Brump, okay. and, and go back to Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. would I fly into Orlando? No. Because that's not Miami. Miami. No. Mar-a-Lago is Miami. I, well, no. Mar-a-Lago is more Palm Beach, which is about an hour from Miami. So I, I would fly Fort Lauderdale or, or Miami Interna- International. Okay. But you would not fly into Orlando? No. That's a couple hours away. Okay. Further drive. Well, then let's just end Unless this. they're going to Disney World. No. All right. Let's, let's end the speculation train. But, uh, but I don't know. You know at, at the end of the day, Melania is a woman trying to raise a kid. Yeah. I mean, and Baron's still young. Yeah. So he I, might want to go to Disney. Who knows? Maybe is low key, but anyway, it flew to Orlando. Now it's back on the way back to uh, D.C. So I guess we'll just have to see. Well, the world's most expensive tweet. This, this is what blows me away. Uh, here is uh, Elon Musk back in August tweeted the following <clears throat> at uh, on Friday evening. I guess it was a Friday. Seventh of August was a Friday. Quote. Am considering taking Tesla private at four hundred and twenty dollars. Funding secured. 
420, bro. Well, he was fined by the by the SEC. Tesla was fined, and he was personally fined. Um, that tweet cost – he is Tesla, but out of a personal uh, bank account. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. What's nine divided by 40 million? Uh, a lot. Nine into 40 million, was that? Um, yeah. Whatever it is. Um, We're all journalists in this room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was told there'd be we don't no do math. math. So it's less than $4 million per word, right? You know what's crazy? The tweet is still up. Uh, because he was uh, he, he was uh, nailed by the SEC. Uh, f- uh, f- it was a fraud settlement. Because you can't say that there's secured funding when there's not secured funding. Well, he did. And he was fined a total of $40 million, a little more than $4 million, uh, per word. And it's still up. I didn't, anyway, just retweeted it. Uh, all right. Speaking of uh, amazing investments, Mark Remillar joins us, and the market is uh, – we are 21 minutes away from close. Is that correct? No, no, no. They just hit the close. It just hit the close. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, oh, it's 109. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 109. Exactly. 409 Eastern. So how much money did I make today, Mark? I really cleaned up yesterday. Well, it turned around. It was uh, actually a pretty incredible rally in the final hour and a half of trading, um, uh, almost 900-point swing upward. So after the bell this morning, the Dow dropped down 300 points, spent the rest of the day hovering about that, dropped down to uh, more than 601 point, and then uh, out of nowhere just turned around in the last uh, hour and a half and uh, ended up surging to uh, 260 points. So, uh, in fact, both the, uh, excuse me, all three, the NASDAQ, S&P, and uh, Dow all ended the day in positive territory, so this would be two days in a row of gains in what has been uh, a pretty rough month for trading. Yeah, I, last I looked, at 9 a.m. West Coast time, it was minus 370, and uh, my Cumulus and MySpace stocks were really taking it in the shorts. <laughs> uh, MySpace? MySpace Sh- stocks? Should I unload? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't be a financial advisor for that kind of a Yeah, my America Online stock was, has, was that, it's been in the tank for 15 years, but I think it'll turn around. Uh, well, yeah. I guess so the lesson from last Friday through uh, Monday through yesterday, now today, is that, uh, I, 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 well, why is it going wacky? Because every pre- prior December for 40 years has been nothing but rally. Yeah, um, it, it is unusual, um, and, and this has actually been the worst start to a fourth quarter um, in, in a very long time, if not uh, almost uh, in, in a record sense, uh, because this has been uh, numerous days of, of down activity and sell-offs. Uh, and, you know, we hit such a peak earlier in this year and, and a rally over 2017 as well uh, that um, some people look to maybe have taken profits, and then from there you started to see this dip. But there's a lot that invest- Investors could be worried about at this time, whether that's, uh, you know, um, slowing global economic growth, which appears to be occurring at this time. You have trade wars in the U.S. and China that are continuing. And I think one of the things that was really driving it down earlier today was a report out of Reuters in which they said that President Trump may be considering a, uh, a an executive order in which he would bar U.S. companies from using telecommunications equipment made by Huawei and ZTE. Those are two huge uh, uh, 
Chinese tech corporations. And so, barring that, certainly affected the stocks and the rallies in um, uh, tech stocks and, and leads to further uncertainty. And then you even have the president and his comments on the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, and, and his criticism of Jerome Powell. Uh, reportedly, and, and from administration officials, they say his job is safe at the moment, but uh, that may change. Who knows? Uh, obviously, that's up to the president. Uh, and, and for people who are unaware, Huawei and ZTE, uh, two Chinese tech giants, are intimately cooperating and involved with the Chinese uh, Ministry for State Security, their intelligence services, and there's right. zero debate about that. Uh, and, right. and and so you're, I, I would highly – I don't – you know, I, I my, my disclaimer is I'm not a stock expert, clearly, because I own MySpace stock, but – I would uh, I'd clear my way uh, I'd steer my way clear out of Huawei because that's that is a train that's going to hit a mountain. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, and and this is exactly you know those kinds of stocks. Uh, tech has been a volatile market over the past month, two months, uh, maybe even going back a little further than that. Um, you know, not only because you, you kind of have a recipe for for a drop when you see all the uh, the growth that they have. So the question is, okay, how much higher can it go? Uh, but then the trade wars and and the issues between particularly between the U.S. and China, where so much tech manufacturing takes place. You have American companies that produce goods over there, that use parts from companies over there, which is exactly what this story is about. Uh, and so that may have led uh, downward a lot of uh, the markets early on today, uh, and then the pre-market trading and into the actual trading of today. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, one of the stories that seems to be not necessarily affecting the market too much from what we've seen are, uh, is the partial government shutdown. That, that could be having an effect, of course. So that's another thing to be digested. Uh, but at the same time, uh, certainly this rally and the flip around was what was uh, quite interesting here. And, you know, no doubt we'll have some questioning whether or not was this the bottom, but who who, who can possibly say? Uh, and Mark Remillard from ABC News uh, joins us. Yeah, the reason I read that story, the, the Musk story, refreshing people's memories about the fine from the SEC about that idiotic tweet, mm-hmm. is because uh, the new regime is coming just in a few days. The board of Tesla now have, has to oversee his Twitter feed in a few days, uh, quote, uh, but it's, it, it, including they have to quote pre-approved written communications from Musk that that include information material to Tesla or its shareholders close quote so he can tweet all he wants about SpaceX and all that but anything having to do with Tesla uh, and and the publicly traded stock has to be approved by uh, by the board so that's that's coming any day. Well, what's interesting about that is then how do you start to figure out? What tweet affects Tesla and which does not when Trump, when uh, Musk tweets about anything uh, because you know the stock on Tesla right around the time and just after that uh, August seventh tweet uh, the stock took another tank when he appeared on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast and was seen honked a taking, taking yeah t- taking a puff of uh, what appeared to be a you know a marijuana uh, a blunt or whatever and so the question is when he does things like that or when he talks if he talks about things like that you know it'll be interesting to see how they uh, choose to regulate that but that was you're right part of that settlement with the SEC. And I believe they also uh, uh, put two independent members of the board on uh, as well. And so these would be separate from uh, the board, which is, you know, one person on the board is his own brother. So he's he's had a lot of control over the company, certainly not only as a CEO, but as the chairman of the board, which he is no longer that chairman. But uh, but you're right. That was a really expensive tweet. But that's imagine my shock uh, six minutes ago when I found that the tweet is still up. 
It's still <laughs> up, how- and it has 88,202 <laughs> likes. I, I suppose the damage is done, is it not? I guess. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Well, uh, you kids in your hip lingo with your blunts or whatever, I'll uh, I'll let you go there, Mister Airfingers. Uh, all right, have a have a happy New Year. Oh well, uh, screw you, Mark Remillard. Uh, anyway, uh, I think I did that. That's uh, my bad. Uh, Mark Remillard from ABC News. We'll be back right after this. Andrew Mullenbeck with the Van Nuys double murder, the latest from the Valley. Right after this, KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk. Talk. It is the Gary and Shannon show. Brian Suits filling in. Double murder in Van Nuys last night uh, through the miracle of 21st century technology. We are able to speak live to Andrew Mullenbeck, who was in Van Nuys. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew Mullenbeck. And uh, l- last I heard as of 6 a.m. was they said that it looked like they were targeted or the location was targeted, but the father is not uh, a person of interest at this point. Yeah, you got it exactly right. So it was last night. A man called police. He gets home to his apartment. And when he gets in, according to what he told police, he finds his wife and their 13-year-old son dead. This is on Oxnard Street, just west of Woodman in Van Nuys. And uh, as you're indicating, LAPD Detective Megan Aguilar says the husband and the father here, he has been cooperative. He is not being looked at as a suspect at this point, although dependent upon what investigators find through the course of the day or the days to come, that could change at any moment. But again, so far, he's not being viewed as a suspect. The question is then, Who did it? And they don't have so much, at least, that they're telling us right now. One key point to bring up is that investigators say there is no sign of forced entry that somebody broke in. This is a two-story apartment complex, underground garage parking, tandem parking there. Uh, And so far, they haven't found any sign of break-in, but they just found this uh, woman and her 13-year-old son dead. Uh, And the thing that jumps out at me on this is that the most they'll say is that the bodies have signs of trauma but they're not releasing method of homicides. What do you make of that? Yeah, they haven't said whether it was a shooting, stabbing. The only thing that they've said is that there were signs of trauma, although they do say that it doesn't seem like it was of natural causes, whether, you know, you're talking about carbon monoxide or something like that. They are calling it a murder investigation. And the other thing that they're saying, again, this is Detective Aguilar with the LAPD, saying that it's not random. Detectives do not believe that this was random. They do believe that either the location or the individuals were targeted, although we're just not sure for what reason they may have been targeted. Another piece to this, then, is if it was some sort of home invasion robbery. Uh, Detectives have not been able to determine, or at least they haven't passed along to us, whether anything was taken from the apartment. So uh, was a door left open? Was it an attempted robbery or burglary? Uh, They just haven't said at this point. All we have is that a a woman and her 13-year-old son are dead, and the husband, the other person who lived there, is not, at the moment anyway, being viewed as a suspect. Uh, And so so what we take away from this is that LAPD's uh, acknowledging that it probably isn't random, but they're not telling us uh, the method of homicide. And uh, and so we can uh, – is, is it time for dangerous speculation? Well, I suppose it does leave open a lot of speculation right now, not least because – 
it's fairly unusual that you find a, a woman and her teenage son being found murdered in an apartment and then to also hear that they believe it was a targeted attack. What, what was the target? And specifically, if we're not talking about anything being taken from the apartment so far, what was the target? Uh, and in this case, if if the husband is indeed not being looked at as a suspect, uh, you wonder why did they believe or they're fairly confident at this point that it was a, a targeted attack. Oh, and uh, last question. Um, neighbors heard anything? I don't see that in the story anywhere. And, and so I, I'm led to believe that neighbors heard nothing. Well, I stood outside the apartment complex a good while this morning. I didn't find any neighbor uh, who had heard anything. It's a fairly... A small but long unit. Uh, certainly dozens of uh, apartment units would be part of this building. Uh, from what I can tell, it appears that the attack happened at kind of the backside of the building, so it's quite a ways away from Oxnard Street where the actual uh, front of the building is. But I haven't found anybody who heard anything. Uh, that would that might suggest that it wasn't a gunshot, but again, we haven't even heard from investigators uh, the cause of death or the weapon used. So uh, we don't have much to work on there, but I hadn't talked to anybody who had heard some sort of fight, struggle, shot, none of that. Yeah, because that, that's the thing. When when neighbors, when there's something undeniable, when neighbors say, I heard shots approximately 11.20 p.m., LAPD can't say, no, you didn't. Right. Get back to yourself. When, if no one heard anything, then we can probably rule out a firearm, and then there's, there, then there's a secondary reason why they're not releasing that. So, One other additional thing to think about is these apartment complexes, almost all of them, have some sort of security surveillance cameras. Sometimes they're inoperable, they're just there for looks, but uh, many other times they do have surveillance cameras running. That will be another component to this. If police find that there are cameras and they can get hold of some footage to maybe identify who they're actually looking for. Uh, all right, Andrew Mullenbeck <clears throat> out there with uh, with our groundbreaking technology. It sounds It sounds like you're in Van Nuys. Well, I was earlier. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm over the hill now, uh, but uh, oh. I'll be back there in a bit. All right. Uh, thanks for uh, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back in just a second uh, when we come back. An aggressive panhandler is uh, finally in in irons there in Hemet. And I'll, I'll tell you about the aggressive panhandler that we dealt with uh, this morning. Uh, right here in lovely Burbank. Though I'm not sure if it was on Cahuenga. I, th- I think we were in L.A. Because what, what happened this morning wouldn't be tolerated in Burbank, I can tell you. Uh, right after this, Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon on the Gary and Shannon Show. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. We're talking about Michael Cohen, the president's former lawyer now with a... Uh, plea deal and the whole whole thing. Uh, McClatchy reporting today that where he previously said that he had never visited Prague in August of 2018, and that his uh, today reporting that his cell phone did in fact ping. This is this is all centered around the accusation that Michael Cohen met uh, personally face to face with Russian intelligence uh, in regards to uh, leaking out. Uh, Hillary's emails and things like that through their front organization called WikiLeaks. And uh, so he's he, he, I don't know if he doesn't listen to his lawyer or if he's the stupidest lawyer who, as, as uh, Clarence Darrow said, uh, the attorney who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. But anyway, he's tweeting out about this, I guess, because the plea deal is a plea deal. But Michael Cohen said this 10 minutes ago on his Twitter feed. 
Quote, I hear Prague, Czech Republic, is beautiful in the summertime. I wouldn't know as I have never been. Hashtag Mueller knows everything. Close quote. And for the record, his son goes to University of Miami, plays baseball at Miami. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, in, in the universe of bad ideas at this point to be tweeting. This one is its own, you know, son. And so there, there he goes. There, I'm not a lawyer. I'd advise you to stop tweeting. So that uh, that happened. Well, deaths of police officers on duty uh, increased this year over last year. There's a bit of an asterisk uh, on this. And we're going to be joined by Ryan Burroughs here in just a minute to uh, talk about this. Oh, there he is right there. Uh, and a little, a little bit of it is in the definition of uh, a method of death and what on duty means. But the, the numbers are this. <clears throat> uh, up to this point in 2018, and you know, honestly, I don't know if this is counting Officer Singh. Uh, up in Stanislaus County. I don't know. But up to this point in 2018, 144 federal, state, local officers have died so far. Uh, and I th- think this is from yesterday, from December 26th. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to ask him. <clears throat> uh, but regardless, here's the nuts and bolts of the story. National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund says that more officers died in the line of duty this year than 2017. 144 federal, state, and local officers have died so far in 2018. Uh, at this point in, uh, rather, total for 2017 was 129. So we're we're at, uh, uh, I guess, 15. 15 more than last year. The majority of officers who died were shot or fatally injured in car crashes while on duty. Other deaths involved heart attacks, drownings, cancer, and other illnesses developed by responders to the uh, World Trade Center attack. There was a cluster of uh, of f- uh, fire employees in New York and and uh, paramedics who succumbed to longtime uh, cancers who died last year. Uh, I mean, uh, this year in 2018. Uh, so, and here it's the answers right here in front of me. The officers who died do include Officer Singh. Um, uh, no, I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I'm misreading this. Uh, a deputy killed in the, the big Sacramento County shootout and a Greensboro, North Carolina police officer killed in a car crash. Uh, but uh, I have the sense of it that if this went to press yesterday, they may we may be at 145, which is uh, uh, obviously tragic. Uh, but anyway, it's just it's just it's a curious metric because I don't I don't have the number from 2017 of the 129 officers who died on duty. In 2017, how many of those were heart attacks uh, or or whatever? It's a little bit how you see. Oh, we're not going to get them. Okay, um, uh, it's a little bit how you see when when you see that uh, that firearm deaths are up this year over last year. Um, it, that's a bit deceptive because there is somewhat of an assumption made, I think, by a lot of people that that equals homicides. Uh, if you don't know this suicides by gun are a firearm death. Uh, and uh, in in fact, firearm homicides uh, used to outnumber suicides two to one uh, 20 years ago. Uh, firearm homicides have been on a steady 30-year decline, though you wouldn't know it to listen to the histrionics of the, uh, you know, anti-gun lobby and all that. Firearm homicides are now lower than firearm suicides, which seem to be a flat rate. They seem to be a flat number. There seems to be a, a near fixed number of suicides annually, over, overwhelmingly, by
by young men of any race. Young men between 17 and 29 are the majority of suicides uh, or attempts at suicide. Uh, And then you have to get into the late 60s when, again, men uh, uh, are the majority of of, uh, suicides amongst the entire population. So uh, if if you want to tell me, well, take away the guns, and that they wouldn't find another method, we can have that debate. But that's a, a bit of a like you say, a bit of a deceptive measurement. On on this, I, I want to know, is is there a fixed amount of on, you know, this is, again, this is on-duty deaths of law enforcement officers. Is there something different about cars these days? Are police departments loosening up the pursuit rules? Are more departments uh, not breaking off, not doing a soft pursuit uh, anymore, which may, may lead to a greater incidence of car accident? I, I don't know. Uh, there was the, uh, there's been an overall decrease in law enforcement deaths on duty because uh, the technology for bulletproof vests and things like that has improved, uh, and and also uh, also airbags and other side airbags and things like that have led to far more survivable vehicle accidents, which is obviously a uh, professional risk that law enforcement takes. Overall, police deaths are are way way down. If you consider uh, you know, not one dead cop is too many, uh, and all that. But given the the dense ownership, legal ownership of firearms amongst the legal people who tend not to be the ones who kill cops, uh, and the the overwhelming lack of give a damn, uh, you know, by by criminals uh, who have guns, the, it's fairly remarkable that more cops are not killed. But that they've been on a overall uh, decrease. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Uh, Jane Wells is in for Johnny Ken when we come back, and uh, we'll wrap it up here. I'll uh, give you a, f- a few more uh, breaking news nuggets, including we'll, we'll check in on what's happening there on PCH out in Palisades, which last we heard is closed. We'll uh, give that to you because you're going to be thinking about driving home that way soon, or will you? It is uh, the Gary and Shannon Show. Brian Suits filling in KFI M 640 more stimulating talk. KFI AM640 more stimulating talk. Always nice to hear a little Hootie and the Blowfish uh, here on the Gary and Shannon Show. Um, Brian Suits filling in for Gary and Shannon. Uh, it is, uh, I think, incumbent on us. Uh, so I'll play this. We have we have this audio uh, from a press conference earlier today from up in Newman. Um, and, and I'll say this because I, I spent a lot of time in, I, I worked in Modesto. In Stanislaus County, and I know the area really well because of the remotes I did at Patterson Chevrolet, and I know Newman, and I know Crow's Landing, and I know Los Banos and Turlock and the whole thing. Um, as you go up I-5, you, you know, you go by those exits right before you get to the Bay Area, and it says, you know, Patterson, um, Crow's Landing, uh, and all the, those are all little, little towns, um, you know, big territory, but little towns. Uh, and you can hear the emotion in this police uh, in the police chief's voice. He's describing the officer who was killed early yesterday morning at 1 a.m. Ron Singh, Ronil Singh, and he describes uh, his his life's ambition and why he came to this country uh, from Fiji. And an American patriot, Ron was not born in America. Ron was born in Fiji. He came to this country with one purpose and that was to serve this country. When I took over as police chief, 
we had some vacancies in the department and one of my first hires was Ronil Singh. He had a thick accent. He was hard to understand at times because English was not his first language. I believe it was his third language. When I sat with him in the chief's interview, he told me he came to America to become a police officer. That's all he wanted to do. He truly loved what he did. You've never seen a man smile more than him. I know that's said a lot in these things, but you ask anybody, he was never in a bad mood. It was unreal. He loved what he did. He loved being a police officer. He loved being a husband. He loved being a father. He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved to go out in the ocean and spearfish, to jet ski, to ride his flyboard. You have to understand this was not supposed to happen here. Uh, so that is the police chief of Newman uh, and the uh, news coming out of Stanislaw County. Uh, at this point, is the they have the identity of the shooter. They're releasing that the uh, shooter is an illegal alien. So there, there you go. You have uh, a study in contrast there. A guy who uh, his ambition was to come to this country, came to this country, not only came to this country legally, but uh, came here uh, to serve the country in law enforcement and uh, killed by an illegal alien there in Stanislaus County that they know. And uh, was a frequent flyer uh, there. And so you, you know where this goes next. Uh, then they ask uh, the, uh, the, the the county why they didn't report the guy uh, for immigration hold, you know, et cetera. And then we hear from, <clears throat> from ICE why they didn't act on an immigration hold. Uh, and in, in many cases, in the, if you don't know this, um, there's lots of very rural places in this largest state in the country of 40 million people. Uh, and Modesto was one of the ones. Los Banos is one of the ones. Uh, uh, Gustine, you know, some of these. They'll do an immigration hold, and they call ICE in the Bay Area. And ICE is not going to drive a van to Patterson uh, for a strong-arm robbery uh, or, or something like that. And in many cases, that it literally comes down to that. So we'll we'll learn more about this because undoubtedly I have a feeling that the guy's going to be caught. Uh, they're they're saying that he probably in all likelihood hasn't left Stanislaus County, uh, and because he has he has ties there, uh, as they say. So uh, the, this is pretty much the tragedy of this is, as the chief said, the guy wanted to live the uh, American dream. Then you hear you know he hunted, he spearfished here, he was living the California dream, and then uh, unfortunately dies a very California death. Uh, and that's an effing shame. And uh, so I'm just going to stay calm about that. Uh, Jane Wells is here. I've got great news, Jane, for you and me. Yeah. I'm not pointing fingers. Um, I, 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 but see, I'm pointing a finger back at me. Are you ready? People who drink moderates, moderate amounts of alcohol or coffee and are overweight in their 70s live longer lives. Well, I don't drink moderate amounts. And you're not, you're, I'm talking, you know, you are not overweight in any way, shape or form. 
And I'm not yet in my 70s. Well, if you're already in your yeah. 70s, you've lived kind of a, you know, yeah, no, good aren't for you? you're almost on borrowed time already, right? Yeah. And you, and you, you I mean, the, you, you are a rarity. Uh, I mean, you're, you're in a business where most of your peers of your gender, they don't make it past a certain age. Well, that's because maybe they only drink moderate amounts. I go, I go way past that in both mm-hmm. the coffee and the alcohol part. Uh, this is a UC Irvine study. It started in 2003 to look at what makes people live past 90. Uh, participants in the study who drank moderate amounts of alcohol, and they're not defining that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, hope, that? I, yeah. I hope it's nine to ten gin drinks tonight. <laughs> Uh, moderate amounts of alcohol or coffee lived longer than those who abstained from the drinks, dorks. Uh, in addition, people who were overweight in their 70s, and this is counterintuitive, people who were overweight in their 70s lived longer than people who were normal or underweight in their 70s. Um, I don't know. First of all, they're starting at in your 70s. So you've already gotten past <clears throat> a lot already in terms of if your weight was an issue and created health problems. Also, then I always wonder with these things, people who don't drink coffee and don't uh, – drink alcohol are no fun and maybe that's why they don't live so long you know there are uh, other issues here and i wonder i would have to say in any good study like diving scores in the olympics you throw out the high and the low throw out any result out of utah because that's yeah, a completely they, different yes. lifestyle yes and i salute them i lived amongst them uh, for several years uh but uh sadly they outperform, I, they outperform yeah. in every category yeah just like uh the seventh day adventist in mira loma L- loma linda loma, well it is the loma the Loma, there's the Loma a, Linda. Yeah, there's a Palomino in there somewhere or something. And, and uh, yeah, they have a crazy uh, life expectancy. Uh, Gosh, maybe there. I should go to church on Saturday. And it's, uh, and it's diet and, uh, and the whole thing. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, is, uh, he and his wife are those. And he, he, every morning he ate this stuff. And it looked, like a, it looked like what you'd call bread pudding. But it was, it was sort of it was an oatmeal thing. And all this, and he was a pescatarian, ate fish. It's the only meat he ate. But every morning he had this big bowl of like oatmeal-y kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And, and, uh huh. And was he 110 I, now? Absolutely. Uh, he's uh, yes. In fact, uh, and, and uh, in fact, he is. And then, uh, and uh, everyone knows this story. Everyone has a dad like the well, not everyone, but my my dad started smoking when he was 14. Lied about his age. Went into the Navy during World War II. Smoked two packs a day of free cigarettes in the Navy from the age of 17 on. And then he worked for the FAA as an air traffic controller, which is a great place to break yourself of that habit. You know, it's like sending a <laughs> sodomist. Up, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. like sending a sodomist to prison, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so uh, he was a two-pack a day all my life. He retired when, I, when he was 51. He retired. He had done 29 years uh, in, in the, the FAA. So he lived longer after that than he worked. Two packs a day <clears throat> until the day he died, ninety-one. Good for him. Yeah, and 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 my mom, uh, my mom was in a hospital bed most all my life from the age of nine on. He had to smoke in the back of the house. He still knocked out two packs a day. My after, dad did the same. After thing. he promised my mom that he would stop smoking. <laughs> my dad smoked for fifty years, and one day the doctor said, "Well, your emphysema is not any worse." He's like, "What emphysema?" <laughs> and so he kept. So that day he quit. He actually quit. He quit cold turkey after fifty years. He lived to be in his eighties. Oh yeah, and that was that's that was my dad's a bear joke. claw and black coffee every morning. Oh, I can salute that. Yeah, hello. No, that was my dad's thing. Was in the last years of his life, because uh, that was it, the the joke he made was, you, "I've been trying for lung cancer. You know what it's going to be? <laughs> Butt polyps." And so, <laughs> so the, his doctor just finally said, "I'm over it." Uh, you know, you survive Okinawa kamikazes. Was he in Okinawa? Yeah, he was a corpsman on Okinawa. 
Oh, my gosh. After that, I thoroughly understand. I went through that. Wow. I'm a, I, I am going to wrestle sharks. I'm going to chew tinfoil. I'm going to smoke cigarettes. And I'm going to juggle lava and sharp knives for the rest of my life. I survived Okinawa. So yeah. you couldn't, couldn't say anything about that. No kidding. So uh, screw their study. I, no, I, 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 I like. I think whatever. I don't. I, all these studies. Coffee's bad for you. Wine's bad for you. Red wine's a month good later, for you. you know. Give yeah. me, I, I just. Uh, you need to look at the whole thing. Yeah. You need to look at everything, and I and nobody's really done a comprehensive looking at everything. Oh, I got the noisy earrings on again today. I got to take these off. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to drop any names, but I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to leave a clean workstation and a logged off computer. <laughs> so. <laughs> I got to turn off this fan too. Is that a, is that your thing, the fan? No, it was up uh, when I was up here. Oh, so wait, I have to do that again. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So there's. We got lots to talk about. Of course, the economy in this crazy market today. Uh, what what Dow drop? And uh, and again, my MySpace stock is still in the basement. So I'm going to unload <laughs> that crap. Sears may be uh, no more in 24 hours. I may have to start liquidating if uh, Eddie Lambert doesn't come through with a final offer. That could be we're down perhaps to the last 24 hours of Sears. Remember, Sears was it. Sears was it. And then they buried that Roebuck. He disappeared. <laughs> um, and also, we'll keep you updated on what's happening on PCH because there, there's this, uh, the thing with the deal with the guy uh, on PCH by Palisades. The, the, it was closed. We'll keep people updated before they have to commute. All right. Hayne Wells, uh, have a good show. Thank we'll see you, you tomorrow. Thank you. KFI, M640, more stimulating talk.